This is the Troll Patrol. Live. With Justin. Freaking. Welcome to the Troll Patrol. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Blowing you guys out there. Hold on, hold on. That's the sweet spot right there. That's the... That's what I get for not doing a mic check. No, I was recording a voiceover earlier. And I have to ha I have to have the gain up way louder. Welcome to the Troll Patrol Live! It's a freaking Thursday. Sorry I wasn't here last night. So, as you guys know, my cat has been missing since last Friday. The awesome Smokey, who is like the mascot of this show. We had a Smokey sighting like right before the show, so like I spent the entire evening outside looking for Smokey. Uh, Smokey never showed back up. We also we had a wild animal, like a live animal trap out there. While we didn't think to use it before now, I don't know, but we left it out last night. We didn't even catch, we thought we were going to get a, a possum or a raccoon or something. Caught nothing and definitely no Smokey. But at least I know that he's he's still out there. He's okay. So hopefully, in the not-too-distant future, I'll be able to hold up Smokey. He is mocking me. Uh, the Discord... The Discord came up with a... I call it a conspiracy theory. That Smokey is actually... He's joined the Air Force, and he's somewhere bombing civilians. Now, you guys know this isn't our normal time. We're on uh, about a half hour early. Because tonight's the January 6th hearing, but don't worry. I've got a cat hair, one of my hairs, something in my mouth. But don't worry, don't worry. We've got all kinds of other news to talk about. Joe Biden has COVID. Joe Biden has COVID. We're gonna talk about that. Uh, I forgot what else is on the list. Hold on. Senators, senators unveil their legalized pot bill. Chucky e. Schumer been all over the the Twitter talking about legalizing pot. So maybe, maybe we got some good news to report. We got some awesome video of Representative Jamie Raskin, who you will see tonight. Uh, I don't know how many of these fuckers have the COVID, though. I know Benny Thompson will not be here tonight because Benny Thompson has the COVID. I believe he is participating remotely. However, I would tell him not to just because he's fucking boring. These hearings have been riveting other than Benny Thompson rambling on. So, I, I hate to wish COVID on anybody, but perhaps it's a good thing that Benny is not there tonight. For the prime time, the the last one so far. Apparently, there could be other hearings. As of right now, this is the last scheduled January 6th hearing. We are probably going to get more in August. We don't we don't know yet. You can see they are in the chamber getting ready to convene. Committee expecting to convene in about 20 minutes. 
Well, tonight, tonight we are going to be focusing on what Trump did on January 6th. But I would like to, uh, I would like to do a, I would like to do a news story before we get to the January 6th committee hearings. This is just, it's kind of a big story. Highly transmissible Omicron subvariant BA5 has reached the president. News spread fast around the world today that President Biden tested positive for COVID. He is quadruple vaxxed and says he's doing great. Sharing this photo and video from inside the White Yes, Biden also said that he and several other people had cancer. Odd comment the day before. I do not have that handy, but what I do have handy is our newest graphic. Biden dies of COVID watch. That's what you wanted, wasn't it, Warlord? Come on, man. You staying cool over there in England. Are you are you Brit starting to cool down? Did you see the video? I don't think I saved it. Don't say you you wouldn't find it if I said, oh, it'd be funny if the Queen died. You'd be you'd be incredibly upset with me. How dare you, sir? It'd be funny if he died. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not for it. Might make the uh, 2024 primary a little easier, a little easier to swallow. I didn't save this fucking video. Yep, this is it. This is it. This is it. Hold on. So I was asking Warlord how the weather is over there in Britain. Apparently, apparently not very good. Apparently kind of hot. But this, honest to God, happened on British television. The the first clear? the first clip you're going to see is a clip from. Don't look up satirizing the media. But honestly, is it really satire? Sorry, are, we, uh, are we not being clear? We're trying to tell you that the entire planet is about to be destroyed. Okay. okay. Um, well, it's, um, you know, just something we do around here. You know, we just keep the bad news light. Oh, you see, John, you're outside enjoying yeah. the sunshine. It's not too hot, is it? So this is an actual newscast from GB News UK. It's it's absolutely lovely. It's what twenty degrees out here. It's perfect. But um, on a serious note, folks, um, by early next week, you can scratch twenty degrees. It could well be forty degrees. I think there will be hundreds, if not thousands, of excess deaths early next week. The charts that I can see in front of me are frightening. So we all like nice weather, but this will not be nice weather. This will be potentially lethal weather for a couple of days. It'll be brief, 
but it'll be brutal. Oh, so, John, you know, but... we can... We... Oh, oh, yeah. So, this is... So, John. Warlord, have we broke 2K dead in the EU yet? When we checked yesterday on the numbers, we were at like 1677 had died. You're supposed to look it up for me. You're producer Warlord. What? I don't know. Does Jamie ever look at uh, Joe Rogan and be like, I don't know, Joe. When Joe's like, hey, Jamie, look that up for me. What's up, Mandy? It's so hard to find good help these days. <laughs> oh, good evening, Warlord, by the way. Oh, Love your face. About the weather and every single, I don't know whether something's happened to meteorologists to make you all a little bit fatalistic and, and <laughs> harbingers of doom. Fatalistic. Fatalistic. Uh, I, I hate to inform this woman, at least 1,600 people have died in the EU. Uh, maybe Warlord will get us an up-to-date count. It was a fucking lot. I I hope that the heat has actually subsided. He did say it was going to be brief. This was a, a news report from day before yesterday, I believe. So, like, the real bad temperatures hit yesterday. We saw triple digits in London for the first time ever in recorded history. Guys, if you're just joining us... Uh Jesus I mean this is this is going through the whole summer and Germany alone saw 1600 probable heat related deaths <laughs> Damn Just, just fucking insane. But once again, we are on... Biden dies of COVID watch. So if you are just joining us, the president has indeed tested positive for COVID-19, which... I kind of knew would happen. I was talking about it when he was taking his Middle East trip. I uh, I thought it was kind of a dumb idea, and he's been he's been gallivanting around the country. He was in Massachusetts, I believe it was yesterday, or Maryland, one of those M countries up in the Northeast. We're gonna see a clip uh, here later on in the show. After we get through the January 6th hearings, they are, you can see behind me, they are getting ready to uh, get seated for the committee hearings here in just a few minutes. I don't know, Mandy, this might, this might perk you up. This, uh, this committee hearing might be explosive. White House, Amber Cogliano has the latest. RB, don't mind if I do. President Joe Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. The news broke this morning. The president is experiencing mild symptoms so far. An occasional dry cough, runny nose, and mild fatigue. 
As of now, he has no fever. At age 79, there is extra concern for America's oldest president in history. The point of a vaccine is to keep you out of the hospital and out of the morgue. And that is indeed what vaccines have done for President Biden. First Lady Jill Biden tested... Well, so far. She spoke to reporters in Detroit where she was visiting a school. I talked to him just a few minutes ago. He's doing fine. He's feeling good. Uh, I tested negative this morning. I see we're back to masks now. We never should have stopped. Folks, I'm doing great. Thanks for your concern. Keeping busy. Later, he posted this video from the Truman Balcony. Hey, folks, guess you heard. This morning I tested positive for COVID. But I've been... Is that indeed the same ba- uh, balcony where Trump <laughs> Trump <laughs> barely was able to make it up the stairs and pulled off his mask? He was like, <laughs> he wanted. We we later heard the reports that he wanted to have a Superman shirt on. He wanted to rip open his. His button-up shirt and have a Superman shirt under it. And his aides talked him out of it. <laughs> but now is, is that is that a shot at Trump to go out there on that on that balcony where Trump did the <gasps> and could barely fucking breathe? Is showing that he had conquered COVID? Double vaccinated, double boosted. Symptoms are mild, and uh, and I really appreciate your inquiries and your concerns. But I'm doing well. I'm getting a lot of work done. Going to continue to get it done. And uh, and in the meantime, thanks for your concern and keep the faith. Biden is self-isolating in the White House residence. Dr. Jill will steer clear, planning to spend the weekend at their home in Delaware. Vice President Kamala Harris reacted to the news this morning. He and I spoke by phone. He is in good spirits. He is feeling well. He is doing well. The president was given a rapid antigen test today as part of the normal testing protocol at the White House. When it came back positive, he told his doctor he had a running. I'm just going to assume that like it is sweeping through Washington, D.C. right now. We Katie Porter was out with it. Benny Thompson currently out with it. Uh, I believe that's a replay. That is that is a replay from the other day. Uh, they're getting ready to get seated here in about ten minutes. I got you, Mandy. Don't worry. Honey knows. Perkin, welcome. Test confirmed he had COVID. Treatment started almost immediately. He is taking the antiviral drug Paxlovid, which has been effective at keeping serious symptoms of COVID at bay. The president will continue to be monitored as he is, uh, but the. Paxlovid is working really well at preventing serious illness. And that's why he was offered it, and that's why the president took it. Biden's COVID is expected to be far less serious than President Trump's run-in with the virus in 2020 that almost led to him being placed on a ventilator. Because the president is fully vaccinated, double boosted, his risk of serious illness is dramatically lower. White House COVID coordinator Dr. Ashish Jha briefed reporters today. He said he was he was feeling fine he had been working all morning by the way i saw right wingers say that well biden's doctor didn't talk to reporters which is weird because here is video of biden's doctor talking to reporters because right wingers just make stupid shit up to get offended by 
Uh, he hadn't even been able to finish his breakfast because he had just been busy. I encouraged him to finish his breakfast. As for that White House balcony video, officials said the unidentified staffer who shot it was not at any risk. His videographer was there with him, wore an N95 mask, had the appropriate distance, the six feet distance. It's going to be okay. I had my booster back at the end of April or the beginning of May. I do indeed remember when Trump almost died of COVID. I made this graphic for it. Trump dies of COVID watch. But now, now given today's news, we are now on Biden dies of COVID watch. <laughs> Oh, God, I posted that on Twitter, too. Secret Service, please don't come noggin' on my door. Just saying. What's up, Tones? Welcome! You got here just in time. We're getting ready to switch over to the January 6th committee. You can see it on the screen behind me. I've been I've been tinkering with, you know, exactly what's going to be on the screen behind me. I like having a screen behind me. Not exactly dialed in on, on what's always going to be on it. I was going to try out having the hearing going on behind me, but also the, the TV looks a little fucking bright. I've already darkened it so much. Are you saying that I'm hyped on Dr. Enough and weed? Or are you saying that you're hyped on Dr. Enough and weed? I am indeed drinking a Dr. Enough. I told my buddy, he asked me what I was drinking. I said, Dr. Enough. And he thought I was drinking some uh, fucking uh, like generic Dr. Pepper. Whatever like the Walmart brand Dr. Pepper is. I'm like, no, foo. No, let me let me explain to you what Dr. Enough is. It is a beverage that is local to East Tennessee. Uh, it is a Sprite 7-Up Sierra Mist style beverage, uh, but it has minerals added to it, and it has caffeine in it. So it is a Sprite style beverage with caffeine in it. The original energy booster, rich in vitamins... Enough is enough, it says. I would love a slushy, curiouser. Thank you. The superior soda. What flavor slushy? I mean, I like. I don't know where you're getting a slushy from. What flavor slushy do I want, guys? I can't. I can't read. Oh, fucking Sonic. I can have any fucking flavor I want. Jesus. <laughs> We've got about six minutes before the start of the January 6th hearing. The fuck are you talking about? Not a secure site. 
Oh, don't they have like a creamsicle or something or other? Like an orange creamsicle or some shit, maybe. I might want to float. I'm sorry, you guys are you guys are just hanging out while I'm uh, looking at slushes. <laughs> uh, give me a blue raspberry slush or a cherry slush. I didn't I didn't see no creamsicle. Damn, 86 degrees. Oh, the chat. The chat decides I don't like coconut. Mandy, I appreciate that, but I do not like coconut. <laughs> My mom got me a coconut cake when I was I was little for Easter, like when I was five or six or something, and I threw up on it, and I haven't been able to eat coconut since. Blue raspberry, yes, absolutely. I would have gone lemon, Mandy, but like blue raspberry, like that's of all the things on that menu, blue raspberry, like yes, that is Justin. RB, my friend, I'm sorry you were sweltering, feeling like a warlord over there. I don't know if I can add, like, I'm gonna hurt my tummy. Not high enough for this shit. We are getting ready for the January 6th hearings. are getting ready to start momentarily. As Sarah Matthews was, for instance, when she stood up for Cassidy Hutchinson. You can see that everybody is already in place except the committee. Uh, so it is going to be interesting to see just how, uh, what kind of posture these witnesses take. If they're going to be very much like a Hutchinson or if they're just going to kind of, uh, you know, be just the facts, ma'am, and, and answer the questions that they're asked. And never fear, never fear. I, d I don't want any alcohol in my slushy. Please, please don't put alcohol in my slushy. I, uh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say now. I was like, oh no, no, no alcohol in my slushy. I have, I have still got work to do tonight. I have to be able to function after this show ends. Uh, we are, oh, that's what I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. We are going to indeed be doing the news after the hearing tonight. It's not just going to be the hearing. So plan to stay up late. I hope you got your pajamas on. It ain't, it ain't going to be like troll patrol all night long like we did on the election, but, uh, we're, we're going to be here a while. I'm glad I got a slushy coming. Kind of remind everyone of that part. You're breaking up on us, sir. I think you're going through a tunnel. We're having trouble with 
James's audio, so let's go on. Let's let let's uh, just watch for a moment here, and then we can, if we have time, get Aaron in. A reminder that uh, Chairman Benny Thompson has tested positive for COVID, so we expect to see him via video. Uh, but a lot of this uh, will be driven tonight by the Benny Thompson dies of COVID. Watch. We'll be presenting our Elaine Luria and Adam Kinzinger. Uh, Aaron, let's pick up where James was about what the committee has to do tonight. Yeah, well, if I don't get the chance to tell you later, good night, Mandy. A lot of people might have internalized sweetest of dreams. Donald Trump wasn't exactly on the ball that day. Uh, I think when it comes to making a case to the Justice Department, making the case to voters, uh, they might have to go beyond that. They might have to show there's a little bit more there that people don't know. Uh, the good thing for them is that there is lots of this that is unknown. I, I, I mean, like, isn't the fact that he tried to use his tiny hands to choke a Secret Service there? agent to take him to the Capitol enough? You know, I think it's pretty clear that the committee is going to hold uh, hearings in the future or at least put out information in the future. They've made it pretty clear that this is not the end of their process, even though there was a Ginseng Sullivan. Thank you for being a freaking follower. That they are seeing witnesses step forward, maybe witnesses who have gotten a little bit more comfortable after Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony. Of course, we're talking about White House Counsel Pat Cipollone, who uh, gave videotape testimony after that. These ginseng, these ri these hearings have been riveting. After seeing somebody come forward, there I can't imagine not watching these because, like, kind of thing. my God, the the juicy gossip. Who is speaking out against the former president, who has proven very adept at making people regret those kinds of decisions. Especially when the ultimate result of this, this hands down has been better than Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, as uh, many of Trump's critics would like it to be. Yeah, yeah, there's a political cost here. You know, we're seeing Liz Cheney have a very tough uh, primary in her home state of Wyoming, but there's also such a large personal cost to these people. But also, since you're new here, you might not know this. Like we, we, we regularly watch like longer versions, clips of hearings, or we will watch full hearings if it's something big. So we, we're, we're kind of wonky around here. We get down into the nitty gritty. Like this is right up my wheelhouse. People who are talking to this committee. Yeah. Also, also, if you, since you're new here, you need to know, you need to know that I would give anything, anything in the world to piss in Dan Crenshaw's open eye hole. So that gives you a good summation of what this channel is exactly. There you see Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger. The committee uh, is being seated. Uh, in those instances, there were... Let's get ready to rumble! Whistleblowers. Uh, those people didn't necessarily get what they might have ultimately wanted out of that process. And what that does is it sends a signal to... Curious, sir, if you're still here, will you get me some uh, cheese they, sticks? You know, they don't want to risk it themselves because they might not Aaron, ultimately... Aaron, I'm going to cut you off there. We see the Vice Chair Liz Cheney gaveling in. Let's go live now to the January 6th Select Committee. Good evening. Earlier this week, I received... Oh, no, he's still here. Per CDC guidelines, I've received the initial two shots. And Nobody cares, dude. Just get to the juicy I've shit. I've blessed to experience very minimal symptoms. Because I'm still quarantined... Sassy Snicks, welcome. Good evening. ...with my colleagues. I've asked our vice chair, Ms. Cheney, to preside over this evening's hearing. 
including maintaining order in the room and swearing in our witnesses. Over the last month and a half, the select committee has told the uh, he should have stepped aside and let Liz Cheney do it. in his power to overturn an election. Well, I wish you the best of luck on your date this evening, Sassy. His Don't get too sassy on him now. Democratic institutions. He's and if everything goes well, then, you know, I, I hope your sexual anarchy goes good. When he you live in sexual anarchy? was heavily armed and angry, he commanded the mob to go to the Capitol, and he emphatically commanded the heavily armed mob to fight like hell. For the weeks between November election and January 6th, Donald Trump was a force to be reckoned with. He shrugged off the factuality and legality, correct, sober advice of his knowledgeable and sensible advisors. And oh, God, Biddy doesn't even know how to operate the Zoom. Of lawlessness and corruption. Somebody picked up the phone. Democracy be damned. And then he stopped. For 187 minutes on January 6th, this man of How did this dude get phone noises on a Zoom call? Age, not by his allies. Leave it up to this boomer ass motherfucker. Or the desperate pleas of those facing down the riot. And more tellingly, Donald Trump ignored and disregarded the desperate pleas of his own family, including Ivanka and Don Jr. Even though he was the only person in the world. It's the only time that he's ignored Ivanka. To the Capitol, he could not be moved to rise from his dining room table and walk the few steps down the White House hallway into the press briefing room where cameras were anxiously and desperately waiting to carry his message to the armed and violent mob, savagely beating and killing law enforcement officers revenging the Capitol and hunting down the vice president and various members of Congress. He could not be moved. This evening, my colleagues, Mr. Kingsinger of Illinois and Ms. Luria of Virginia will take you inside the White House during those 187 minutes. We also remind you of what was happening at the Capitol minute by minute as the final violent, tragic part of I Donald bet it smelled like Big Macs in there. Power ...unraveled while he ignored his advisors, stood by and watched it unfold on television. Let me offer a final thought about the select committee's work so far. As we've made clear throughout these hearings, our investigation goes forward. It is, that's what he's using it, but he's using it as, you know, like I need some FaceTime, I need to get my name out there. We will reconvene in September to continue laying out our findings to the American people. But as that work goes forward, a number of facts are clear. There can be no doubt that there was a coordinated, multi-step effort to overturn an election overseen and directed by Donald Trump. There can be no doubt that he commanded a mob, a mob he knew was heavily armed, violent and angry to march on the Capitol to try to stop the peaceful transfer of power. And he made targets out of his own vice president 
and the lawmakers gathered to do the people's work. These facts have gone undisputed. And so there needs to be accountability. Accountability under the law. Accountability to the American Well, people. Mike Pence was supposed to be his accountability buddy, and he didn't do his job. In many states where Donald Trump and his allies attacked election workers for just doing their jobs, all the way up to the Oval Office, where Donald Trump embraced a legal advice of insurrectionists that a federal judge has already said was a coup in search of a legal theory. Our democracy withstood the attack on January 6th. If there is no accountability for January 6th for every part of this scheme, I fear that we will not overcome the ongoing threat to our democracy. Now, the Justice Department has pretty much said that they're not going to prosecute Trump because we are ramping up into election season. To start telling this story. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Without objection, the presiding officer is authorized to declare the committee in recess at any point. Pursuant to House Deposition Authority Regulation 10, I announce that the committee has approved the release of the deposition material presented during today's hearing. And let me begin tonight by wishing to I said accountability buddy recovery from COVID. He has expertly led us through eight hearings so far, and he has brought us to the point we are today. In our initial hearing, the chairman and I described what ultimately became Donald Trump's seven-part plan to overturn the 2020 presidential election. A plan stretching from before election day through January 6th. At the close of today's hearing, our ninth, we will have addressed each element of that plan. But in the course of these hearings, we have received new evidence and new witnesses have bravely stepped forward. Efforts to so I kind of like the hearing being behind me, but also you've got to realize that I'm surrounded by a wall of Liz Cheney's right now. Like there's just Liz Cheney all the way around me. It's kind of weird. And now... Even as we conduct our ninth hearing, we have considerably more to do. We have a whole lot of Lizzie share with the American people and more to gather. A whole lot of road. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll spend August pursuing emerging information on multiple fronts before convening further hearings this September. Today, we know far more about the president's plans and actions to overturn the election than almost all members of Congress did when President Trump was impeached on January 13th, 2021. Tonight's hearing is focused on what Trump did on January 6th. Did and did not do. Senators voted to convict President Trump at that time. And more than 20 others said they were voting against conviction because the president's term had already expired. At the time, the Republican leader of the United States Senate said this about Donald Trump. A mob was assaulting the... The turtle is talking to us. These criminals were carrying his banners, hanging his flags, and screaming their loyalty to him. It was obvious that only President Trump could end this. 
He was the only one. Leader McConnell reached those conclusions based on what he knew then. Without oh, you got a turtle emote. That's awesome. You will see today. Lawlessness and violence began at the Capitol on January 6th, 2021, before 1 p.m., and continued until well after darkness fell. What exactly was our Commander-in-Chief doing during the hours of violence? Today, we address precisely that issue. Everything you've heard in these hearings thus far will help you understand President Trump's motives during the violence. You already know Donald Trump's goal, to halt or delay Congress's official proceedings to count certified electoral votes. You know that Donald Trump tried to pressure his vice president to illegally reject votes and delay the proceedings. You know he tried to convince state officials and state legislators to flip their electoral votes from Biden to Trump. And you know Donald Trump tried to corrupt our Department of Justice to aid his scheme. But by January 6th, none of that had worked. Only one thing was succeeding on the afternoon of January 6th. Only one thing was achieving President Trump's goal. The angry, armed mob President Trump sent to the Capitol broke through security, invaded the Capitol, and forced the vote counting to stop. That mob was violent and destructive, and many came armed. Justin, welcome! Secret Service agents protecting the vice president were exceptionally concerned about his safety and their own. Well, I mean, they held, they held hearings uh, for Nixon. As were others in Congress. Even those who themselves... There, I, I think you, I, I don't remember if it was a select committee or if it was a bipartisan committee today, or independent committee or whatever it was. Like I think there were multiple committees looking at Nixon. ...to immediately intervene to condemn the violence and instruct his supporters to stand... Also, Dustin, good point. Has a president ever done anything like this before? For multiple hours, he would not. Donald Trump would not get on the phone and order the military or law enforcement agencies. To and I mean, there were there were hearings about, you know, not to uh, Iran Contra from his own party and from all across. There our were there were 9-11 hearings, but, you know, like Bush and Dick Cheney held hands during the deposition. It was behind closed doors. I think it was it was even uh, like you could they couldn't publish it. I don't believe it's in the 9/11 commission report. Of any political party would defend President Trump. No transcript of it taken. No one should do so today. Thank you and I now recognize the gentlewoman from Virginia. Thank you Madam Vice Chair. Article 2 of our Constitution requires that the president swear a very specific oath every four years. Every president swears or affirms to faithfully execute the office of president of the United States and to the best of their ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The president also assumes the constitutional duty to take care that our nation's laws be faithfully executed and is the Commander-in-Chief of our military. Our hearings have shown the many ways in which President Trump tried to stop the peaceful transfer of power in the days leading up to January 6th. With each step of his plan, he betrayed his oath of office. She's got some major bling on. Look at that gigantic-ass gold chain. President Trump's actions 
on the day of the attack on the Capitol. Early that afternoon, President Trump instructed tens of thousands of supporters at and near the Ellipse rally, a number of whom he knew were armed with various types of weapons, to march to the Capitol. After telling the crowd to march multiple I'm times, the vu. <laughs> he would be with them and finished his remarks at 1.10 p.m. like this. We're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. Anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. So let's walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. By this time, the vice president was in the Capitol. The joint session of Congress to certify Joe Biden's victory was underway, and the Proud Boys and other rioters had stormed through the first barriers and begun the attack. Radio communications from law enforcement informed Secret Service and those in the White House Situation Room of these developments in real time. At the direction of President Trump, thousands more rioters marched from the Ellipse to the Capitol, and they joined the attack. As you will see in great detail tonight, President Trump was being advised by nearly everyone to immediately instruct his supporters to leave the Capitol, disperse, and halt the violence. Virtually everyone told President Trump to condemn the violence in clear and unmistakable terms. And those on Capitol Hill and across the nation begged President Trump to help. But the former president chose not to do what all of those people begged. He refused to tell the mob to leave until 4.17 when he tweeted out a video statement filmed in the Rose Garden, ending with this. So go home. We love you. We love you. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. Meet gangs. how you feel. But go home and go home in peace. By that time, two pipe bombs had been found at locations near the Capitol, including where the vice president-elect was conducting a meeting. Hours of hand-to-hand -hand combat had seriously injured scores of law enforcement officers. The Capitol had been invaded. The electoral count had been halted as members were evacuated. Rioters took the floor of the Senate. They rifled through desks and broke into offices, and they nearly caught up to Vice President Pence. Guns were drawn on the House floor, and a rioter was shot, attempting to infiltrate the chamber. We know that a number of rioters intended acts of physical violence, against specific elected officials. We know virtually all the rioters were motivated by President Trump's rhetoric that the election had been stolen and they felt they needed to take their country back. This hearing is principally about what happened inside of the White House that afternoon. From the time when President Trump ended his speech until the moment when he finally told the mob to go home, a span of 187 minutes, more than three hours, what you will learn is that President Trump sat in his dining room and watched the attack on television, while his senior most staff, closest advisors, and family members begged him to do what is expected of any American president. I served proudly for 20 years as an officer in the United States Navy. Veterans of our armed forces know firsthand the leadership that's required in a time of crisis. 
urgent and decisive action that puts duty and country first. But on January 6th, when lives and our democracy hung in the balance, President Trump refused to act because of his selfish desire to stay in power. And I yield to the gentleman from Illinois, Mr. Kensinger. Thank you. Yeah, we have a long history of not holding anybody well, accountable, we don't we, in this country? Republican leader Kevin McCarthy acknowledged the simple truth. President Trump should have acted immediately to stop the violence. During our investigation, General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, also remarked on the president's failure to act. Let's hear what they had to say. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. Yeah, he's a commander in chief. You got an assault going on on the capital of the United States of America. And there's nothing, no call, nothing, zero. Like my colleague from Virginia, I'm a veteran. I, well, I mean, he's in on it. Like, he, he was the one that caused it. I can tell you that General Milley's reaction to President Trump's conduct is 100% correct. And so was Leader McCarthy's. What explains President Trump's... Was Leader McCarthy's. Why did he not take immediate action in a time of crisis? Because President Trump's plan for January 6th was to halt or delay... Congress's official proceeding to count the votes. The mob attacked the Capitol quick, the, the mob attacking the Capitol quickly caused the evacuation of both the House and the Senate. The count ground to an absolute halt and was ultimately delayed for hours. The mob was accomplishing President Trump's purpose, so of course he didn't intervene. Here's what'll be clear by the end of this hearing. President Trump did not fail to act during the 187 minutes between leaving the ellipse and telling the mob to go home, he chose not to act. But there were hundreds that- No, he, 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 he chose to take positive action the other way. To protect the people inside the Capitol and to safeguard our democracy. Many of them are here tonight with us and many more are watching from home. As you already know, and we'll see again tonight, their service and sacrifice shines a bright light on President Trump's dishonor and dereliction of duty. I yield to the vice chair. Thank you very much, Mr. Kinzinger. I'd like to begin by welcoming our witnesses this evening. See, once again, the surround sound Liz just like fucked with me. former Marine intelligence officer who served this nation on tours of duty in Afghanistan and Iraq. He served in the Trump White House from the first day of the administration through the early morning hours of January 7, 2021. The last role in which he served in the White House was as Deputy National Security Advisor to the President of the United States. We're also joined by Sarah Matthews. Ms. Matthews started her career in communications working on Capitol Hill, serving on the Republican staffs of several House committees. She then worked as Deputy Press Secretary for President Trump's reelection campaign before joining the Trump White House in June of 2020. She served there as Deputy Press Secretary and Special Assistant to the President until the evening of January 6, 2021. I will now swear in our witnesses. The witnesses will please stand and raise their right hands.
Do you swear or affirm under penalty of perjury that the testimony you are about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing This is live you? indeed, Battle of Possum. Thank you. You may be seated and let the record reflect that the witness is answered in the affirmative. Thank you both again for being here tonight. Mr. Pottinger, uh, thank you for your service to the nation uh, as well as, as for joining us this evening. Can you please briefly explain what your responsibilities were as Deputy National Security Advisor to the President? Pottinger sounds like some kind of uh, potted Thank meat you, product Chair. or something. Um, when I started at the White House, I was a senior director for Asia on the National Security Council staff. So that was a job that involved helping coordinate the President's Asia policy. Um, I supported this is prime time, Daddy. Or, uh, this is important. This is important shit. Uh, later, 2019, I was promoted to the job of Deputy National Security Advisor. Uh, in that role, uh, I was uh, the chairman of the Deputies Committee. That's an NSC uh, uh, meeting of all of the Deputy Cabinet Secretaries. We would settle uh, important matters of, uh, of uh, national policy related to, to our national security. And we would also tee up options for the President and uh, for his Cabinet members. Uh, it was, um, I, I, I felt then as I do now that it was a privilege to serve in the White House. Uh, I'm, I'm also very proud of President Trump's foreign policy accomplishments. We were able to uh, finally compete with China. We were uh, also able to broker uh, peace agreements between Israel and, and three Arab states. I mean, those are some examples of the types of policies. And those were normalization of relations of the Gitzel arms. Those weren't really were peace agreements. In, uh, the White House during the attack on the Capitol on January 6th? Uh, for most of the day, I was uh, in the White House. Although when the, the president was speaking at the rally, I was actually off-site at a scheduled meeting with India's ambassador to the United States. Uh, uh, the National Security Council staff was not involved in organizing the security for what was a domestic event, the rally. Uh, but um, I did return to the White House at roughly 2.30 p.m. Thank you. And I know my colleagues will have additional questions for you about that afternoon. I am not high enough for this shit. Somebody hit the rips. How did you come to join President Trump's White House staff? Thank you, Madam Vice Chair. As you outlined, I am a lifelong Republican, and um, I joined the Trump re-election campaign in June of 2019. I was one of the first communications staffers actually on board for his re-election campaign. And during that time, um, I traveled all around the country and met Kaylee McEnany, who was also working on his re-election campaign. Um, I worked there for a year, and I formed a close relationship with Ms. McEnany, and uh, she moved over to the White House in April of 2020 to start as White House press secretary. And she brought over a group of campaign staff with her. Thank you, Tones. So I joined her over at the White House in June of 2020 to start as her deputy. And were you, uh, Ms. Matthews, at work in the White House on January 6th? Yes, I was working out of the West Wing that day. Thank you. And now I'd like to recognize the gentlewoman from Virginia and the gentleman from Illinois. I will have a sip of my Thank doctor you, enough. As you've seen in our prior hearings, President Trump summoned the mob to D.C. on January 6th. Before he went on stage, he knew some of them were armed and prepared for combat. During his speech, he popped up on Dr. Nub and Weed, Mandy said. always planned to do. By the time he walked off the stage, 
His supporters had already breached the outer perimeter of the Capitol at the foot of Capitol Hill. Since our last hearings, we've received new testimony from a security professional working in the White House complex on January 6th with access to relevant information and responsibility to report to national security officials. This security official told us that the White House was aware of multiple reports of weapons in the crowd that morning. We as a committee are cognizant of the fear of retribution expressed by certain national security witnesses who have come forward to tell the truth. We've therefore taken steps to protect this national security individual's identity. Listen to this clip from what their testimony. What was the consistent message from the people about this idea of the president to walk to the Capitol? To be completely honest, um, we were all in a state of shock. Because why? Because, because it's just, one, I think the actual physical feasibility of doing it, and then also we all knew what that implicated and what that meant, that this was no longer a rally, that this was going to move to something else if he physically walked to the Capitol. I don't know if you want to use the word insurrection, coup, whatever. We all knew that this would move from a normal, uh, democratic, you know, public event into something else. Yes. What was, what was driving that? He wanted to walk through the crowd into the Capitol and be declared king that day. Why were we alarmed? Right. Uh, the president wanted to lead tens of thousands of people to the Capitol. Um, I think that was enough grounds for us to be alarmed. Even though he understood many of his supporters were armed, the president was still adamant to go to the Capitol when he got off the stage at the Ellipse. But his Secret Service detail was equally determined to not let him go. That led to a heated argument with the detail that delayed the departure of the motorcade to the White House. We have evidence from multiple sources regarding an angry exchange in the presidential SUV, including testimony we will disclose today from two witnesses who confirmed that a confrontation occurred. By the way, the, the Secret Service is lawyering up. The Capitol on TV. The individual went to see Tony Ornato, the deputy chief of staff in his office. Mr. Ornato was there with Bobby Ingle, the president's lead Secret Service agent. This employee told us that Mr. Ornato said that the president was, quote, irate when Mr. Ingle refused to drive him to the Capitol. Mr. Ingle did not refute what Mr. Ornato said. The second witness is retired Sergeant Mark Robinson of the D.C. Police Department, who was assigned to the president's motorcade that day. He sat in the lead vehicle with a Secret Service agent responsible for the motorcade, also called the TS agent. Here's how Sergeant Robinson remembered the exchange. Was there any description of what, of what was occurring in the car? No, only that, on, the only description I received was that the president was upset and that was adamant about going to the Capitol and there was a, a heated discussion about that. And when you say heated, is that your word or is that the word that was described by the TS agent? No, the word described by the TS agent, meaning that the president was upset and he was saying there was a, a heated argument or discussion about going to the Capitol. About how many times would you say you've been part of that motorcade with the president? 
probably over a hundred times. Uh, and in that a uh, hundred times, have you ever uh, witnessed? Uh, Flash, I'm not sure who you're referring to. Argument or heated discussion with the president, where the president was contradicting uh, where he was supposed to go or what the Secret Service believed was safe. No. Like other witnesses, Sergeant Robinson also testified that he was aware that individuals. Are you, are you, are you talking about James Earl Ray? Yes, I believe he was on special uh, events channel and I was monitoring the traffic. And so I can hear some of the units pointing out to individuals that there were individuals uh, along Constitution Avenue that were armed, that were up in the trees. And I can hear the uh, units responding to those individuals. It said it was uh, security detail. When there's a I was trying to remember exactly how they described them. Security official. Sergeant they were they were keeping their their identity a secret. To travel to the Capitol, even after returning to the White House. So, at the end of the speech, what was the plan supposed to be? So, at the end of the speech, uh, we do know that while inside the limo, the president was still um, adamant about going to the Capitol. That's being relayed to me by the TS agent. And so we did part the ellipse and we responded back to the White House. However, we, the, the motorcade, the protest motorcade was placed on standby. And so we were told to stand by uh, on the West exact until they confirmed whether or not the president was going to go to the Capitol. And so I may have waited. I would just estimate maybe 45 to 45 minutes to an hour um, waiting for Secret Service to make that decision. The motorcade waited at the White House for more than 45 minutes before being released. The committee is also aware that accounts of the angry... Yeah, yeah the Secret Service has lawyered up. ...have circulated widely among the Secret Service. They have hired private counsel to deal with the January 6th committee. ...have also caused the committee to subpoena yet further information from the Secret Service, which we've begun to receive and will continue to assess. The committee is also aware that certain Secret Service witnesses have now retained new private counsel. We anticipate further testimony under oath and other new information in the coming weeks. After the Secret Service refused to take President Trump to the Capitol, he returned to the White House. What you see on the screen is a photo of him inside the Oval Office immediately after he returned from the rally. Looking like the big dumb dork he is. employee informed the president as soon as he returned to the Oval about the riot at the Capitol. Let me repeat that. Within 15 minutes of leaving the stage, President Trump knew that the Capitol was besieged and under attack. At 1.25, President Trump went to the private dining room off the Oval Office. From 1.25 until 4 o'clock, the president stayed in his dining room. Just to give you a sense of where the dining room is situated in the West Wing, let's take a look at this floor plan. The dining room is connected to the Oval Office by a short hallway. Witnesses told us that on January 6th, President Trump sat in his usual spot, at the head of the table, facing a television hanging on the wall. We know from the employee that the TV was tuned to Fox News all afternoon. Of course it was. We see Fox News on the TV showing coverage of the joint session that was airing that day at 125. 
Other witnesses confirmed that President Trump was in the dining room with the TV on for more than two and a half hours. There was no official record of what President Trump did while in the dining room. On the screen is the presidential call log from January 6. As you can see, there's no official record of President Trump receiving or placing a call between 11.06 and 6.54 p.m. As to what the president was doing that afternoon, the presidential daily diary is also silent. It contains no information from the period between 1.21 p.m. and 4.03 p.m. There are also no photos of President Trump during this critical period between 1.21 in the Oval Office and when he went outside to the Rose Garden after 4 o'clock. The chief White House photographer wanted to take pictures because it was, in her words, very important for his archives and for history. But she was told, quote, no photographs. Despite the lack of photos or an official record, we've learned what President Trump was doing while he was watching TV in the dining room. But before we get into that, it's important to understand what he never did that day. Let's watch. So are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Secretary of Defense that day? Not that I'm aware of, no. Are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Attorney General of the United States that day? No. Are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Secretary of Homeland Security that day? I, I'm not aware of that, no. Did you ever hear the Vice President, or excuse me, the President no. ask for the National no. Guard? Did you ever hear the President ask for law enforcement response? No. So as somebody who works in the security space and with the National Security Council, if, if there were going to be troops... I mean, clearly he was enjoying the rally, or enjoying the, the insurrection. For example. The rally. We're far beyond a rally at that point. Do you know if he asked anybody to reach out to any of those that we just listed off? National Guard, DOD... With his small FBI, hands, playing with his Homeland small security, little dick. Service. Mayor Bowser of the Capitol Police about the situation in the Capitol. I am not aware of any of those requests. No, sir. We have confirmed in numerous interviews with senior law enforcement and military leaders, Vice President Pence's staff and D.C. government officials. None of them, not one, heard from President Trump that day. He did not call to issue orders. He did not call to offer assistance. This week, we received a additional testimony from yet another witness about why the president didn't make any efforts to quell the attack. I mean, why would he? White House employee with national security responsibility. But now the question is, did he make phone calls on a separate device? And Pat Cipollone. Did he talk to people during that time? This conversation was about a pending call from the Pentagon seeking to coordinate on the response to the attack. Mr. Hirschman turned to Mr. Cipollone and said, the president didn't want to do anything. And so Mr. Cipollone had to take the call himself. So if President Trump wasn't calling law enforcement or military leaders, what did President Trump spend his time doing that afternoon while he first settled into the dining room? He was calling senators to encourage them to delay or object to the certification. Here's Kaylee McEnany, his press secretary, to explain. Yeah. All right, then it says back there and he wants list of senators. And then he's calling them one by one. Do you know which ones he called? 
To the best of my recollection, no. Um, as I say in my notes, he wanted a list of the senators, and you know, I left him um, at, at that point. D, you because look the like a bird. the call log is empty, we do not yet know precisely which senators President Trump was calling. But we do know from Rudy Giuliani's phone records that President Trump also called him at 1.39, after he had been told that the riot was underway at the Capitol. Mr. Giuliani was President Trump's lead election attorney. According to the phone records, the president's call with him lasted approximately four minutes. Recall that Fox News was on in the dining room. Let's take a look at what was airing as this call was ending. The president, as we all saw, fired this crowd up. They've all tens of thousands, maybe 100,000 or more, have gone down to the Capitol or elsewhere in the city, and they're very upset. Now, I jumped down as soon as we heard the news that Brett gave you about Mike Pence. I started talking to these people. I said, what do you think? One woman, an Air Force veteran from Missouri, said she was, quote, disgusted to hear that news and that it was his duty to do something. And I told her, I said, there's nothing in the Constitution unilaterally that Vice President Pence could do. She said, that doesn't matter. He should have fought for Trump. At 149, here's what was happening. It is interesting to see what was going on on Fox News because you guys were with me at that time. Like we were watching this happen live. And we were watching live streams. But this is now effectively a riot. 49 hours declaring it a riot. What did President Trump do at 1.49 as the D.C. police at the same time were declaring a riot at the Capitol? Were you with me that time, Warlord? Were you watching it with me? To the recording of his ellipse speech. This was the same speech in which he knowingly sent an armed mob to the Capitol. But President Trump made no comment about the lawlessness and the violence. You've been around a very long time. Almost the entire history of the Troll Patrol. Was to tweet at 2.24 p.m. Old man warlord over here. 35 minutes between his last tweet at 1.49 and 2.24. I'm pretty sure you watched it with us this year on the two-year anniversary special. And plead that he made... I, I, I want to say you were there originally. ...dimming the violence and instructing the mob to leave the Capitol. He did not relent until after 4 o'clock when he went out to go to the Rose Garden to film his now infamous go-home message. Pat Cipollone was a top White House lawyer. Here's what he told us about his reaction to seeing the violence and his advice throughout the afternoon. When did you first realize that there was actual violence? I, I first realized that it may have been on television or it may have been Tony or it may have been Bill, but I, I found out that people were you know, they weren't in the Capitol yet, but they were, you know, and, and then I started watching it and, you know, then I was aware. What specifically did you think? I think I was pretty clear there needed to be an immediate and forceful response statement, public statement that people need to leave the Capitol now. My question is exactly that. that it sounds like you, from the very onset of violence at the Capitol, right around 2 o'clock, 
we're pushing for a strong statement that people should leave the Capitol. Is that right? I was, and others were as well. Pat, you, you said that you expressed your opinion forcefully. Could you tell us exactly how you did that? Yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm don't have, you know, I, I have to, uh, on the privilege issue, I can't talk about conversations with the president, but I can generically say that I said, you know, people need to be told there needs to be a public announcement fast that they need to leave the Capitol. And Pat, could you let us know approximately when? Civiloni was probably the smartest man in the room. Approximately when? I don't for for how long the administration. I don't know, but like he definitely was at one point in time. Approaching the cap by this point in time was uh, violent. Do you remember any, any discussion with Mark Meadows with respect to his his view that the president didn't want to do anything? Was some kind of resistance to? wanted to say something along the lines that you suggest. Talking about not just just to be clear, many people suggested it. Um, yeah. Not just me, many people felt the same way. Um, I'm sure I had conversations with Mark about this during the course of the day and expressed my my opinion very forcefully that this needs to be done. So your advice was tell people to leave the Capitol, and it took over two hours when there were subsequent statements made, tweets put forth, that in your view were insufficient. Did you continue, Mr. Cipollone, throughout the period of time up until 417, continue, you and others, to push for a stronger statement? Yes. Were you joined in that effort by Ivanka Trump? Yes. Eric Hershey? Yes. By Mark Meadows? Yes. White House Counsel's Office wanted there to be a strong statement out to condemn the rioters. I'm confident in that. I'm confident that Ivanka Trump wanted there to be a strong statement to condemn the rioters. Um, I don't know the private conversation she had with Mr. Trump, but I remember when she came to the office one time with White House Counsel's Office, when she came to the Chief of Staff's office with White House Counsel's Office, she was talking about the speech later that day and trying to get her dad on board with saying something that was more direct than he had wanted to at the time and throughout the afternoon. And I think Mark also wanted to get, I remember him getting Ivanka involved because he's like, get Ivanka down here because he thought that would be um, important. Um, I don't think Jared was there in the morning, but I think he came later. I remember thinking it was important to get him in there too. and, and, of course, Pat Philbin, you know, was expressing the same things. I mean, Pat Philbin, you know, was very, as I said, I, I don't think there was one of these meetings where there might have been, but for the most part, I remember that both of them. Both of them, you got them, motherfuckers. Going back, getting on phone calls. He was also very clearly expressing this view. Pat Cipollone and Cassidy Hutchinson, an aide to Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, also told us about the Hang Mike Pence chants. As you will see, Mr. Cipollone recalled conversations about those chants in the West Wing, but he relied on executive privilege to maintain confidentiality over his and others' direct communications with the president. Although Mr. Cipollone was unwilling to provide more detail, Ms. Hutchison provided more explicit information, filling in those blanks. See that for yourself. Ooh, ooh, yay. It wasn't until Mark hung up the phone 
handed it back to me. I went back to my desk. A couple minutes later, him and Pat came back, possibly Eric Hirschman too. I'm pretty sure Eric Hirschman was there. But I'm, I'm confident it was Pat that was there. Hirschman's the dude that's always saying uh, very colorful things. Uses a lot of profanity. I like that dude. More. They're literally calling for the vice president to be effing hung. And Mark had responded something to the effect of, See? You heard him, Pat. He thinks Mike deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. To which Pat said something, This is effing crazy. We need to be doing something more. Briefly stepped into... Mark's office. Do you remember any discussion at any point during the day about rioters at the Capitol chanting, hang my pants? Yes, I remember. I remember hearing that about that. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if I observed that myself on TV. I'm just curious. I understand the, the, the fellow's line you've drawn, but do you remember what you can share with us about the discussion about those? Chance to hang my kids. Chance. Yes, please. I can tell you my view of that. Yeah, please. My view of that, that is outrageous. And for anyone to suggest such a thing as the Vice President of the United States, for people in that crowd to be chanting that, I, think there's I thought some it was cat terrible. I thought it was outrageous and wrong. Outside the and door I here. that very clearly. With respect to your conversations with Mr. Meadows, though, did you specifically raise a concern over the vice president with him? And Sky Comet, welcome. I believe I raised a concern about the vice president, and I and I again the nature of his response without recalling exactly was he, you know, people were doing all that they could. And and what about the president? Did he indicate whether or not the president was doing what? needed to be done to protect the vice president? Yeah, just sir. That, that question. For Patrick, me to get. Yeah. I'm being sharp on I see. In addition, Mr. Cipollone testified that it would have been feasible, as commentators on television were suggesting, for President Trump to immediately appear at the podium in the press room to address the I mean, he, he's been so forthcoming, so it's wild for the president to walk what he asserts privilege on. And, and talk to the nation at any time between when you first gave him the advice at 2 o'clock and 417 when the video statement. Would that have been possible? Would it have been possible? Yes. Yes, it would have been possible. We just heard Mr. Cipollone say that President Trump could have gone to the press briefing room to issue a statement at any moment. To give you a sense of just how easy that would have been, let's take a look at a map of the West Wing. As we saw earlier, the president's private dining room is at the bottom of the map. The press briefing room is at the top highlighted in blue, and the Rose Garden, where the president ultimately filmed his go home video, is on the right next to the Oval Office, and that's highlighted in green. Ms. Matthews, how quickly could the president have gotten on camera in the press briefing room to deliver a statement to the nation? So as you outlined, um, it would take 
probably less than 60 seconds from um, the Oval Office dining room over to the press briefing room. And for folks that might not know, the briefing room is the room that you see the White House press secretary do briefings from with the podium and the blue backdrop. And uh, there's a camera that is on in there at all times. And so if the president had wanted to make a statement um, and address the American people, he could have been on camera almost instantly. And conversely, the White House press corps has offices that are located directly behind the briefing room. And so if he had wanted to make an address from the Oval Office, we could have assembled the White House press corps probably in a matter of minutes to get them into the Oval for him to do an on-camera address. Thank you. Other witnesses have given us their views on that question. For example, General Keith Kellogg told us that some staff were concerned that a live appearance by the president uh, at, at the microphones at that moment could actually make matters worse. <laughs> told us he recommended against... That's why it had to be on video. During his four years in the Trump administration, quote, there wasn't a single clean press conference we had had. President Trump's advisors knew his state of mind at that moment, and they were worried about what he would say in unscripted comments. I yield to the gentlewoman from Virginia. Thank you. As you've heard, by two o'clock, multiple staff members in the White House recognized that a serious situation was underway at the Capitol. Personally, I recall being evacuated from the House office building where we're sitting by, uh, before this time. And it was due to the discovery of two pipe bombs in nearby buildings. Ms. Matthews, around the same time, you were watching the violence unfold on television and social media with colleagues, including with Ben Williamson, a senior aide to Mark Meadows and the acting director of communications. You told us that before President Trump sent his next tweet at 2.24, Mr. Williamson got up to go see Mr. Meadows and you got up to go see Kaylee McEnany. Why did you both do that? So Ben and I were watching the coverage unfold from one of the offices in the West Wing and we both recognized that the situation was escalating and it was escalating quickly and that the president needed to be out there immediately to um, tell these people to go home and condemn the violence that we were seeing. So I told him that I was going to make that recommendation to Kaylee and he said he was going to make the same recommendation to the chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Thank you. And one of your colleagues in the press office, Judd Deere, told us he also went to see Ms. McEnany at that time. Let's hear what he said about this critical period of time, right as the riots were getting into the Capitol. Uh, and why did you think it was necessary to say something? Well, I mean, it appears that individuals are storming the um, U.S. Capitol building. Uh, they I don't believe you, Oris Kakon. I believe there's other people who have you've all just been riveted. Um, we're going to need to say something. And did you have a view as to what <clears throat> should be said by the White House? Uh, if I recall, I told Kaylee that I thought that we needed to encourage um, individuals to stop to respect law enforcement and to go home. Although President Trump was aware of the ongoing riot, he did not take any immediate action to address the lawlessness. 
Instead, at 2.03, he called Rudy Giuliani again, and that call lasted for over eight minutes. Moments later, at 2.13, rioters broke into the Capitol itself. One of the Proud Boys charged with seditious conspiracy, Dominic Pozzola, used an officer's shield to smash a window, and rioters flooded into the building. Warlord over here misgendering people. And now misgendering someone on purpose after he's been corrected. Wow. As rioters were entering the building, the Secret Service held Vice President Pence in his office right off the Senate chamber Thank you, Warlord. for 13 minutes as they worked to clear a safe path to a secure location. Ma'am seems kind of condescending, though. And see and what the state wrapped up their case against Bannon. Just feet away from where the vice president was holding. Oh, oh, oh. They the building. Hold. Pardon that door up. If we're moving, we need to move now. Happy. If we lose... Uh, any more time, we may have, we may lose the ability to to leave. So if we're going to leave, we need to do it now. They've gained access to the second floor, and I've got public about five feet from me down here below. They are on the second floor, moving in now. We may want to consider getting out and leaving now. Copy. Will we encounter the people once we make our way? Repeat. Counter any individuals if we made our way to the to the. There's six officers between us and the people that are five to ten feet away from me. Yeah, I am going down to evaluate. Go ahead. We have a clear spot if we move quickly. We got smoke downstairs. Set by unknown smoke set downstairs. And the co- the fucking cops are running. Why are you not bashing the skulls, mother? I'm still asking the same question I was asking that day watching it. We will bypass. I mean, well, I guess we didn't see this that day. There is smoke unknown. What kind of smoke it is? Copy. Clear. We're coming out now. All right. Make a way. The president's National Security Council staff was listening to these developments and tracking them in real time. On the screen, you can see excerpts from the chat logs among the national among the president's national council national security council staff at 2:13 the staff learned that the rioters were kicking in the windows at the capitol 3 minutes later the staff said the vice president was being pulled which meant agents evacuated him from the senate floor at 2:24 the staff noted that the secret service agents at the capitol did not quote sound good right now Earlier, you heard from a security professional who had been working in the White House complex on January 6th with access to relevant information and a responsibility to report to national security officials. We asked this person, what was meant by the comment that the Secret Service agents did not, quote, sound good right now? In the following clip of that testimony, which has been modified to protect the individual's identity, the professional discusses what they heard from listening. Yeah, so this is, I don't know if this is a Secret Service agent or if this is somebody at the National Security Agency. Secret Service, the Capitol does not sound good right now. 
Correct. What does that mean? The members of the BPT tell at this time were starting to fear for their own lives. Um, there were a lot of, there was a lot of yelling, um, a lot of, um, uh, a lot of very personal calls um, over the radio. So uh, it was disturbing. I don't like talking about it, but um, uh, there were calls to um, say goodbye to family members, so on and so forth. It was getting. For, for whatever the reason was on the ground, the BPT tell thought that this was about to get very ugly. And, do, and did you hear that over the radio? Okay. What was the response by the agents who, Secret Service agents who were there? Everybody the kept saying, you know, at that point it was just reassurances or um, I, I think there were discussions of reinforcements coming, but uh, again, it, it was just chaos. It was just, yeah. Obviously, you conveyed the disturbing, but what what prompted you to put it into an entry, as it states there, service to the county? If they're running out of options and they're getting nervous, it, it, it sounds like we're, that we came very close to either service having to use legal options or or worse. Like I, I, at that point, I don't know. Is the VP compromised? Is the detail kind of, like I I don't know. Like we didn't have visibility, but it doesn't. If they're screaming and, and saying things like say goodbye to the family, like the floor needs to know this is going to on a whole nother level soon. As this next video shows, the rioters' anger was fo focused primarily on Vice President Mike Pence. This woman comes up to the side of us and she says, Pence folded. So it was kind of like, okay, well, in my mind, I was thinking, well, that's it, you know? Well, my son-in-law looks at me and he says, I want to go in. What percentage of the crowd is going to the Capitol? 100%. It is, it is spread like wildfire that Pence has betrayed us and everybody's marching on the Capitol, all million of us. It's insane. There was not a million of you. Did people appear angry as you were walking to the Capitol? Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people seem like they're very upset. Tell us some of the things they were saying, if you recall. Oh, there was, they were saying all types, you know, people were screaming all types of stuff. Um, they were mad that uh, uh, Vice President Pence was going to accept the electorals. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a little, you could, if you could think it up, that's, you were hearing it. I believe that uh, Vice President Pence was going to certify the electoral votes and, or not certify them, but I guess that's just changed, correct? And uh, it's a very big disappointment. I think there's several hundred thousand people here that are very disappointed. I right wingers are more on. Try to calm his thousands of disappointed supporters. Instead, at almost the same moment, violence was getting completely out of hand. Donald Trump sent his 224 tweet. The president said. Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country. 
and our Constitution. I am of the opinion that Mike Pence looked for every fucking reasoning and everybody that he looked to said, that's fucking stupid. He put a target on his own vice president's back. Mr. Pottinger and Ms. Matthews, when we ask you about your reaction to seeing the 224 tweet in real time, you both use the same imagery to describe it. President Trump was adding fuel to the fire. Mr. Pottinger, you made the decision to resign after seeing this tweet. Can you please tell us why? Your first troll patrol was January the 6th? No fucking way. Pretty soon after I... Well, uh, what a historic day. That's the day I picked up the war. I would have thought that you were with me through the election. Of the chaos that was uh, unfolding at the Capitol. One of my aides uh, handed me a sheet of paper that... Uh, contained the tweet that you just uh, read. Uh, I I read it and uh, was uh, quite disturbed by it. Uh, I I was disturbed and worried to see that the president was attacking uh, Vice President Pence for doing his constitutional duty. So the tweet looked to me like the opposite of what what we really needed at that moment. Which that's was, a really handsome dude right there. Uh, and uh, that's why I, I had said earlier that it looked like fuel being poured on the fire. So that was the moment that I decided uh, that I was going to resign, that that would be my, my last day at the White House. Uh, I, I simply didn't want to be associated with, uh, uh, with the events that were unfolding on the Capitol. Thank you. And Ms. Matthews, what was your reaction to the president's tweet about Vice President Pence? So it was obvious that the situation at the Capitol was violent and escalating quickly. And so I thought that the tweet about the vice president was the last thing that was needed in that moment. And I, I remember thinking that um, this was going to be bad for him to tweet this because it was essentially out there tinkering. green light to these uh, people, telling them that what they were doing at the steps of the Capitol and entering the Capitol was okay, that they were justified in their anger. And this is not a handsome man. I would not rub his bald head and to leave and to condemn the violence that we were seeing. And oh, shit, the Internet dropped out on me. I worked with him. You know, I worked on the campaign, traveled all around the country, going to countless rallies with him. And I've seen the impact that his words have on his supporters. He, they truly latch on to every word and every tweet that he says. And so I think that in that moment, for him to tweet out the message about Mike Pence, it was him pouring gasoline on the fire and making it much worse. Thank you both. And let's watch what others also told us about their reactions to this tweet. I don't remember when exactly I heard about that tweet, but my reaction to it is that's a, a terrible tweet. And... I disagreed with the sentiment, and I thought it was wrong. What was your reaction when you saw that tweet? It was wrong. Extremely unhelpful. Why? Um, it, it, it wasn't the message that we needed at, at that time. It, it wasn't going to... Um, the, the scenes at the U.S. Capitol were only getting worse at that point. This was not going to help that. We're concerned to make it worse. Certainly. Ms. Hutchinson, what was your reaction when you saw this tweet? As a staffer that works 
to always represent the administration to the best of my ability and to showcase the good things that he had done for the country. I remember feeling frustrated, disappointed, and really, it, it felt personal. I, it was really sad. Well, I've got three of you back. As an American, I was disgusted. Well, let me make sure I'm still on YouTube. It was unpatriotic. It was un-American. We were watching the Capitol building get defaced over a lie. A lie. As you will see, at 226... Yeah, we still on YouTube. Everybody back. Cool. ...had to be evacuated to safety Welcome a second back. time and came within 40 feet of the rioters. The attack escalated quickly right Internet after... Internet brain fart. Like, it might have been, like, just long enough to cover the delay for YouTube, RB. He went back to calling senators to try to... That's what I'm saying, Tones. What good things. While the vice president was being evacuated... I had to remember, he, like, even though as, as much as I like Pat Cipollone, he's still probably a shithead fucking conservative. As Senator Tuberville later recalled, he had to end the call so that... All cops are pussies. Scott, no, we shouldn't even insult pussies. Pussies are nice and soft and warm and inviting. Pussies are, are life-giving. Pussies are amazing. Cops are the exact opposite. And matter of fact, I'm going to have to hang up on you. I've got to leave. Stupid-ass Tuberville. Also had to flee. Earlier that afternoon, before the joint session started, he walked across the east front of the Capitol. As you can see in this photo, he Aw, that's awesome, Flash. Pussies are tough. ...already amassing at the security gates. We spoke with a Capitol Police officer who was out there at the time. She told us that Senator, Je Senator Hawley's jester riled up the crowd, and it bothered <laughs> her greatly because he was doing it in a safe space, protected by the officers and the barriers. Later that day, Senator Hawley fled after those protesters he helped to rile up stormed the Capitol. See for yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's pitiful video. Think about what we've seen. Undeniable violence at the Capitol. The vice president being evacuated to safety by the Secret Service. Senators running through the hallway. But Josh Hawley, indeed. From the mob. As the commander in chief, President Trump was oath and duty bound to protect the Capitol. His senior staff understood that. Do, do you believe, Jared, that the president has an obligation to uh, ensure a peaceful transfer of power? Um, yes. And do you think the president has an obligation to defend uh, all three branches of our government? Uh, I believe so. 
And I assume you also would agree the president has a particular obligation to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. That is one of the president's obligations, correct? Yes, correct. No, I asked what his duty is. Well, I mean, there's a there's a constitutional duty. I, what he has, he's the commander in chief, and that was the the that was my biggest issue with him as national security advisor. Rather than uphold his duty to the Constitution, President Trump allowed the mob to achieve the delay that he hoped would keep him in power. I reserve. The gentlewoman reserves. I request that those in the hearing room remain seated until the Capitol Police have like we're gonna take a recess. witnesses from the room. I now declare the committee in recess for a period of we'll approximately probably be, 10 minutes. We'll be back in about 15 minutes, more than likely. We'll get about another hour and a half of hearing. Uh, Sassy Snicks, did your did your date not go well? Heard from these witnesses, Matthew Pottinger and Sarah Matthews, two people who were in the White House that day. He did not care about his obligation. I was hoping my cheese sticks would be here by now. Oh well, I'm glad. I'm glad it went well then. Early morning oh, you, were, you were back, so it didn't so go well enough to have sexual anarchy. Attack and seeing President you live Trump's in sexual anarchy? <laughs> James Hellman, I have to start well, I mean, a little, a little, a little there, quick day. Which was Senator Hawley running, understandably, away from the rioting mob. But the irony of seeing that clip juxtaposed with the raised fist... One of the powerful elements of this hearing is hearing members of Congress, in their own words, condemn Trump's actions. It speaks volumes, Libby, that sometimes uh, you just connect with people. Their lives, they were terrified. Uh, they, uh, you know, they knew what was. Going oh, that's not even on my list, Warlord. We're we're getting an we're getting news tonight, but we're getting an abbreviated news. It really. Let me uh, let me right now. Let's uh, while we're on recess. Let me give you the rundown of what we are going to be talking about. Hoes and thoughts. That's what we're going to be talking about. That is the top story. Uh, a former Trump aide by the name of Garrett Ziegler called the January 6th committee hearings a bunch of hoes and thoughts. The IG has told the Secret Service it needs to stop investigating. Trump is illegally raising money, according to a new uh, lawsuit. A rioter uh, testified for, uh, on behalf of himself in court uh, in the uh, January 6th rioter. And I'm sorry, I'm thinking about those those fucking cheese sticks. And apparently he screwed himself over in court. Giuliani said to testify in Trump's uh, Georgia bullshit. Uh, we're going to talk about Jamie Raskin tearing into Representative Chip Roy about Second Amendment bullshit. We're going to talk about... Uh, uh, I'll, be, I'll be right out there. Just head there. There's my fucking cheese sticks. Uh, Nicholas Cruz went to McDonald's and I believe Subway. Subway. We're going to see footage of him at a McDonald's after he committed a school shooting. That's chilling. Pat Benatar will no longer sing her hit song, Hit Me With Your Best Shot. 
Uh, half of America now expects the country to devolve into civil war. Uh, I've got I've got a uh, newly released police video showing them shoot a 13 year old. Luckily, they didn't kill him, but I believe he's paralyzed. I got video of a four year old shooting at the cops, which could be because the cops deserve it. Shooting at now the children are going to be armed to protect themselves from cops. Like a Sullivan County, Tennessee deputy who was arrested for seeking sex with a young child. A school in Georgia has a new proposed logo for their elementary school, and apparently it looks like a Nazi symbol. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza is going to talk to us about how Christian nationalism isn't a real thing, and then I'm going to tell you about how Walgreens employees wouldn't sell condoms because of their religious beliefs. Wait, you're you're wanting you're wanting to see my my cheese sticks? Another? Well, you got to stick around. You got to stick around. That was me previewing what's coming up later on the show. Warlord, I know, I know, my friend. You are are uh, in the middle of the night already where you're at. Exactly. I'm I'm sorry. I can't I can't help you there. But uh, I'm gonna take a commercial break. I'm gonna be right back here in just a little bit. Also see the survivors of one of the officers uh, who, who died in the immediate aftermath of the attack. What's it like sharing the room with them? That's right. Uh, Officer Sicknick. Uh, I've got a mouthful of cheese stick. Here tonight. She was also here that first hearing. Uh, and she, uh, when you see her presence, when you see the other officers here listening, just you're taken back to that day and the violence of that day it is such a stark reminder uh where you know a lot of the hearings have gone into some of the behind the scenes of this seven-part scheme but you're also reminded of the human toll of that day the, the level of violence and it seems with every uh hearing these sticks are in, always amazing indication of how violent this was and these how aren't the best cheese sticks but i mean they're still cheese even sticks. those details we heard uh, they're not bad. Agents trying to uh, commute Mike Pence. Widgy boo. They were scared themselves. And, uh, My darling, I've missed you. Where have you been? How dangerous that day was. And you certainly don't forget it when you see uh, the men and women who try to protect the Capitol. That I day. am Jones and versus James, Meltdown Monday. We listened to Rhonda talk about that. It, it really is just so shocking that more people didn't die on January 6th. That the more we learn about the Mike Pence situation, the more oh yes, you were always in dreams. Obviously, we knew before tonight that he was in grave danger. But you knew that. But I didn't think we had to that say radio that. traffic uh, of the agent saying we need to move now. If we lose any more time, we'll lose the ability to do so. Uh, the smoke in the hallway that they didn't know what it was. It's the literal fog of war, uh, and this is all happening as as his running mate, his governing partner, is literally, as, as Elaine Luria said, painting a target on his back. Uh, it, it really is. It, Apparently, they are holding dueling rallies tomorrow in Arizona. That day. 
that Pence is going to be rallying for a different candidate. Again. Uh, James, Maybe the Senate race, the Blake Masters race. In September. Uh, of course, never say never. We could see them surface before that because they talk about how they are continuing to gather information. Witnesses are continuing to come forward. Uh, the vice chair has said that the dam has begun to break. Yeah, and you know, August is an interesting window. Liz Cheney's primary is coming up in a few weeks. This allows her a, a campaign in Wyoming, uh, but it also allows them to play out some of these ongoing. I don't know what the timeline is in the new studio. In the Department of Homeland Security. When are you guys looking to, to launch General it? Over the missing text messages, the deleted text messages. Uh, there's uh, a kind of a, a jurisdictional fight going on right now. Uh, there's a lot of questions about whether some of the messages might be recoverable. After Cassidy Hutchinson spoke, uh, there were some sort of Secret Service official types who were anonymously disparaging her and saying that her testimony was untrue, uh, but no one has said so. You, was that you commenting uh, under a burner account that I saw producer Dave post? Some of these secret speaking of Austin, their own lawyers, uh, and hey, that there may be more cooperation with the committee. The Secret Service says it's always be trolling documents. So I would expect uh, in September, in that well, here comes the committee, hear a lot more about what was happening inside the Secret Service. The committee resuming uh, their positions on the dais. Of course, the chair, Benny Thompson, out. Good work, Witch. Positive COVID diagnosis. We heard him uh, give a statement at the beginning. Vice Chair Liz Cheney has Committee gaveled the men. Order. I now recognize the gentleman from Illinois. We left at the recess just after President Trump's 224 tweet attacking the vice president. By this time, the president had been in his dining room for an hour. I want you to just think of what you would have done if you were in his shoes and had the power to end the violence. You would have immediately and forcefully told the rioters to stop and leave. Like, stop and leave. Done. As you heard, that's exactly what his senior staff had been urging him to do. But he resisted, and he kept resisting for another almost two hours. In the meantime, all the president did was post two tweets, one at 2.38 and the other at 3.13. One said, quote, stay peaceful. The other said, quote, remain peaceful. But the president already knew that the mob was attacking the police and had invaded the Capitol. Neither tweet condemned the violence or told the mob to leave the Capitol and disperse. To appreciate how obvious it was that President Trump was not meeting this moment, it's helpful to look at the real-time reactions of his own son, Don Jr., to the first tweet, captured in a series of text messages with Mark Meadows. I'll warn the audience that these messages contain some strong language. As you can see, Don, Jr.'s fir Don Jr. first texted Mr. Meadows at 2.53. He wrote, he's got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. Mr. Meadows replied, I am pushing it hard. I agree. Don Jr. responded, this is one you go to the mattresses on. They will try to fuck his entire legacy if this, on this if it gets worse. Here's what Don Jr. told us he meant by go to the mattresses. At 258, when you say that he need that Mr. Meadows needs to go to the mattresses 
on this issue. When you say go to the mattresses, what does that mean? It's just a reference for going all in. I think it's a Godfather reference. Sean Hannity agreed, and he also turned to Mark Meadows for help after the president's second tweet. As you can see, Mr. Hannity texted at 3.31 to say Trump needed to deliver a statement to the nation telling the rioters to leave the Capitol. Mr. Meadows responded that he was, quote, on it. Don Jr. and Sean Hannity were not the only ones who implored Mr. Meadows to get the president to speak to the nation and tell the mob to leave, to go home, go home. Throughout the attack, Mr. Meadows received texts from Republican members of Congress, from current and former Trump administration officials, from media personalities, and from friends. Like President Trump's staff, they knew President Trump had to speak publicly to get the mob to stop. Let's look at just a few of these text messages. Fox News personality Laura Ingram said, the president needs to tell the people in the Capitol to go home. Former chief of staff Mick Mulvaney urged Mark, he needs to stop this now. Fox News personality Brian Kilmeade said, please get him on TV, destroying everything that you guys have accomplished. When we interviewed White House counsel Pat Cipollone, he told us that he knew the president's two tweets were not enough. Let's listen to what he said. I think the question is, did you believe that the tweets were not anything about your advice to the president? No, I believe more needed to be done. Okay. I believed that a public statement needed to be made. When you talk about uh, others on the staff thinking more should be done or thinking that the president needed to tell people to go home, who, who would you put in that category? Well, I, I would put uh, Pat Philbin, Eric Hirschman, um, overall Mark Meadows, um, Ivanka, once Jared got there, Jared, um, General Kellogg. I'm probably missing some, but those are... Kaylee, I think, was was there, but I don't. Dan Scavino. And who on the staff did not want people to leave the Capitol? On the staff? In the White House, how about? I, 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 I can't think of anybody, you know, on that day who didn't want people to get out of the the Capitol once the, you know, particularly once the violence started. No. I mean, what about the president? Yeah. <laughs> she said the staff. So I answered. No, I said in the White House. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I thought you said who else on the staff? I, I, I can't reveal communications, but obviously I think, you know,
Yeah. Let's pause on that last statement. Although Pat Cipollone is being careful about executive privilege, there really is no ambiguity about what he said. Almost everybody wanted President Trump to instruct the mob to disperse. President Trump refused. To understand how inadequate the president's tweets were, let's examine his 238 tweet in more detail. For context, here's what was happening at that time. barricade there's people flooded the hallways outside we have no way out we were just told that there has been tear gas in the rotunda and we're being instructed uh, to each of us get uh, gas masks we went from a peaceful protest and this is a very dangerous situation right now um, that there are I'm being told these protesters on the inside are around both chambers and there is now tear gas inside the Capitol Rotunda. In fact, members uh -huh. locked in the House are being instructed to put on masks. Ms. Matthews, after President Trump's tweet about Vice President Pence, you told us you spoke to uh, immediately, you spoke to Kaylee McEnany. What did you tell her and where did she go afterwards? After the tweet about the vice president, I found Kaylee and told her that I thought the president needed to immediately send out a tweet that condemned the violence that we are seeing and that there needed to be a call to action to tell these people to leave the Capitol. And she agreed and walked over to the Oval dining room to find the president. We, we interviewed Ms. McEnany and others who, who were in the dining room with the president, uh, urging him to put out a statement. Ms. Matthews, Ms. McEnany told us she came right back to the press office after meeting with the president about this particular tweet. What did she tell you about what happened in that dining room? When she got back, she told me that a tweet had been sent out, and I told her that I thought the tweet did not go far enough, that I thought there needed to be a call to action and he needed to condemn the violence. And we were in a room full of people, but people weren't paying attention. And so she looked directly at me and in a hushed tone, shared with me that the president did not want to include any sort of mention of peace in that tweet. And that it took some convincing on their part, those who were in the room. And she said that there was a back and forth um, going over different phrases to find something that he was comfortable with. And it wasn't until Ivanka Trump suggested the phrase, stay peaceful that he finally agreed to include it. The president resisted writing, stay peaceful in a tweet. He told Mark Meadows that the rioters were doing what they should be doing, and the rioters understood they were doing what President Trump wanted them to do. President Trump's message was heard clearly by Stop the Steal organizer, Ali Alexander. At 2.38, he told another organizer, quote, POTUS is not ignorant of what his words would do. Rioters storming the Capitol also heard President Trump's message. In this video, you'll see surveillance footage from the rotunda that shows a group of Oath Keepers, including Jessica Watkins, who's been charged with seditious conspiracy. You'll hear her walkie-talkie communications with others 
as they share intelligence and communicate about President Trump's 238 tweet in real time. Again, we warn the audience that this clip also contains strong language. CNN just said that they evacuated all members of Congress into a safety room. There's no safe place in the United States for any of these motherfuckers right now, let me tell you. I hope they understand that we are not joking around. Military Principle 105, Military Principle 105, cave means grave. Trump just tweeted, please support our Capitol Police. They are on our side. Do not harm them. That's saying a lot by what he didn't say. He didn't say not to do anything to the congressman. (laughs) Well, he did not ask him to stand down. He just said, uh, stand by the Capitol Police. They are on our side and they are good people. So uh, it's getting real down there. I got it on TV and it's um, it's looking pretty friggin radical to me. CNN said that Trump has egged this on, that he is egging it on and that he is watching the country burn two weeks before he leaves office. He is not leaving office. I don't give a shit what they say. We are in the mezzanine. We are in the main dome right now. We are rocking it. They're throwing grenades. They're freaking shooting people with paintballs, but we're in here. Be safe. There were no grenades. There may be some paintballs. Get it, Jess. As far as I know, there was just shit. This is what we fucking lived up for. Everything we fucking trained for. Took over the Capitol. Overran the Capitol. We're in the fucking Capitol, bro. We've now seen how President Trump's supporters reacted to his tweets. Mr. Pottinger, you told us that you consider the tweets sent to this point to be, quote, wholly inadequate given the urgency of the crisis. What, in your view, would have been needed? Based. Yeah, I... It was insane. I'm not high enough for this shit. You could count me among those who was uh, hoping to see an unequivocal, strong statement uh, clearing out the Capitol, telling people to stand. He sure did, Tones. Go home. He tried to pull the military back because I, I, we were. I believe he wanted to use the military against United States citizens. and not ambiguous because yeah. he has that power over his folks. Miss Matthews, you told us. About a colleague who said during the attack that the president should not condemn the violence. Can you please tell us about how that about that moment and your reaction? Yes, so a conversation started in the press office after the president sent out those two tweets that I deemed were insufficient. And a colleague suggested that the president shouldn't condemn the violence because they thought it would be, quote, handing a win to the media if he were to condemn his supporters. And I disagreed. I thought that we should condemn the violence and condemn it unequivocally. And I thought that he needed to include a call to action and to tell these people to go home. And um, a debate ensued over it. And I became visibly frustrated. And I lost my original well Facebook, Corey. And I couldn't believe that we were this arguing kind of surprising this too. in the middle of the West Wing, talking about the politics of a tweet, being concerned with handing the media a win, when we had just watched all of that violence unfold at the Capitol. And so I motioned up at the TV and I said, do you think it looks like we're effing winning? Because I don't think it does. And I again reiterated that I thought that the president needed to condemn the violence because it didn't matter if it was coming from 
the left or the right that you should condemn violence 100% of the time. We've, we've heard this evening how everyone in the president's orbit was pushing him to do more, to tell the mob to leave the Capitol. One of these people, one of those people was Republican leader Kevin McCarthy. He managed to get the president on the phone and told him to call off his supporters. As you will hear, the president refused, and so Leader McCarthy reached out uh, for help to Ivanka Trump, who was at the White House, and Jared Kushner, who that afternoon had just arrived back on a flight from the Middle East. So at some point in the afternoon, Mr. Um, McCarthy uh, placed a phone call to uh, Mr. Scavino's desk line, and it was transferred to the president. Is that correct? That's generally what I recall. Okay. Were you involved in making that, transferring that call? I, I, yes. Okay. Where was the president at the time that he took that call? He was in the dining room. Would you personally reach out to the president for more support? Yes, I do. Um, I called them. Um, I think we need to make a statement, um, make sure that we can calm individuals down. Did Mr. McCarthy indicate that he had been in touch with President Trump? He indicated that uh, he had had some conversation. I don't recall whether it was the, with the president or with somebody at the White House, but I think. Oh, he, yeah, I'm not high enough for this yet. Uh, frustration that uh, um, not taking the circumstances as seriously as they should in that moment. You know, I asked Kevin McCarthy, who's the Republican leader, about this. Um, and he said he called Donald Trump. He finally got through to Donald Trump, and he said, "You have got to get on TV. You've got to get on Twitter. You've got to call these people off." You know what the president said to him? This is as it's happening. He said, "Well, Kevin, these are my people. You know, these are these are Antifa." And Kevin responded and said, "No, they're your people. They literally just came through my office windows, and my staff are running for cover. I mean, they're running for their lives. You need to call them off." And the president's response to Kevin to me was chilling. He said. Well, Kevin, I guess they're just more upset about the election uh, you know, theft than you are. And that's, you know, you've seen widespread reports of, of Kevin McCarthy and the president having a basically a swearing conversation. That's when the swearing commenced because the president was basically saying, no, nah, I'm okay with this. Leader McCarthy, the president of the United States has a briefing room, steps I, I, Cor, I agree with you to an extent. Like, they're, they're venerating Pence, and Pence is no hero. All the people, like, yeah, I, I. I conveyed to the president what I think is best to do, and I'm hopeful the president will do it. And have you spoken with this? I think Civiloni. I've spoken to the president. I've spoken to other people. Knew what was happening was wrong and gave good advice. Shout to Miss Trump that you know of that afternoon. I think the young punks didn't know what the fuck was going on. Uh, Sarah Matthews just seems like, you know, um, uh, he was just a staffer and she was, she was young and and uh, way over her head Uh, just because like there was nobody in the White House anymore at that time. I appreciate it. Uh, I don't recall specific ass, just anything you could do. Again, I got the sense that, you know, they were, they were, you know, they were scared. They meaning Ms. Leader McCarthy and people on the Hill because of the violence? That he, he was scared, yes. That is the only time anyone has ever McCarthy said they're nostalgic for Paul Ryan. Jesus Christ, warlord. Was scared and begging for help. 
President Trump. I see. See, core. I believe that there's another. There's like young people who are just trying to get ahead, who don't know no better, who don't even realize what the fuck is going on. They're just happy to have the position. You have got to stop this. You are the only person who can call this off. Call it off. The election is over. Call it off. President-elect Joe Biden also went live on TV to demand that President Trump tell the mob to leave. I call on President Trump to go on national television now to fulfill his oath and defend the Constitution and demand an end to this siege. There was a desperate scramble for everyone to get President Don't Biden uh, positive for COVID. We are now on Biden of COVID watch. I yield to my friend from Virginia. Thank you, Mr. Kensinger. President Trump finally relented to the pleas from his staff, his family, and from Capitol Hill for him to do something more at 4.17, 187 minutes, more than three hours after he stopped speaking at the Ellipse, after he stopped speaking to a mob that he had sent armed to the Capitol. That's when he tweeted a video telling the rioters to go home while also telling him them that they were special. Well, he tested positive this morning. By that time, although, the violence was far from over. Law enforcement He's quadruple vaxxed and they gave him the, the Paxlovid, the really good shit. And elected officials were in secure locations. The writing was already on the wall. The rioters would not succeed. Here's what was showing on Fox News, the channel the president was watching all afternoon. I think you're looking at it the wrong way. I think President Harris for a couple of years is fine, and then it's an open primary. D.C. National Guard, 1,800 troops take several hours, as I was mentioning before, uh, to get them up and running. The Army Secretary, Ryan McCarthy, is setting up a headquarters at the FBI. You just heard from David Spunt that the FBI is also sending uh, troops to the Capitol. It's no coincidence, then, the President Trump finally gave in and went out to the Rose Garden at 4.03. His staff had prepared a script for him to read, but he refused to use it. As you can see on the screen, you can see the script is stamped President has seen. The script said, quote, I'm asking you to leave the Capitol region now and go home. Welcome to my nightmare. I was urged to stick to this script, but he spoke off the cuff. Eric Hirschman and Nick... It'll be a lot of blunders. ...to film the message in the Rose Garden. Let's hear what they had to say and see the never-before-seen raw footage of the president Ooh. recording this video message. Ultimately, these remarks that we're looking at here in Exhibit 25 were not the remarks that the president delivered in the Rose Garden. Do you know why the president decided not to use these? I don't know, sir. No, I, don't, I do not know why. Did the president use any written remarks to your knowledge or did he just go off the cuff? To my knowledge, it was off the cuff, sir. Good chase. Yeah. When you're ready, sir. Ooh, we're gonna see the alternate takes. 
You tell me when? When you're ready, sir. Who's, who's behind me? He's gone. He's gone around. We're all clear now. I know your pain. I know you're hurt. We had a election. Let me say. I know your pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it. It most certainly wasn't. It was a landslide the other way, you asshole. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened. Oh, yeah, we're lucky they were completely incompetent. From me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election. But we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace. When I got there, uh, basically the president just had finished uh, filming the video. And I think he was basically retiring for the day. Was there any discussion about the president releasing a second video that day? Not that I recall. When the, when he finished his video, I think everyone was like... Orange, stringy-ass, Yankee milk-drinking, carrot-shaped shit spoon. We're pretty what? Drained. Uh, but we say day, day over, there were still people in the Capitol at that point, weren't there? There were people in the Capitol, but... I believe by this stage, you know, law enforcement, and I'd have to go back and look, but I believe law enforcement. Absolutely, Kushner, to be held accountable, spend the rest of his life in jail for all his crimes. By the time that videotape was done. Emotionally drained at the White House? Here's what was happening at the same time at the Capitol. We warned the audience that this clip also contains strong language and violence. She put my blue raspberry uh, slushy in a sippy cup because I spilled my tea earlier tonight. Everybody, we need gas masks. While President Trump refused to even lift another finger to help, other leaders honored their oaths and acted to clear... What could he do with one tiny little finger? For instance, here are never-before-seen photos and video of congressional leaders in action during the attack. The video is a portion of a call they had at approximately 4.45 with Acting Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller. We're not going to let these people keep us from finishing our business, so... We need you to get the building cleared 
give us the okay so we can go back in session and finish up the people's business as soon as possible. Mr. Secretary and Senator Schumer, some people here in the Capitol Police believe it would take us several days to secure the building. Do you agree with that analysis? Uh, I'm not on the ground, but I do not agree with that analysis. So what is the earliest that we could safely resume uh, our proceedings in the Senate and House chambers? The earliest we could safely resume? Uh, I, here's my assessment. Uh, it ended up being about uh, 11 o'clock p.m., if I remember correctly, on the East Coast. The vice president also worked the phones from his own secure evacuation location, including conversations with acting secretary of defense, Miller, and other military leaders. Well past President Trump's 417 video, let's look at some never before seen photographs of the vice president during this critical time and hear about the vice president's conversation with military leaders to secure the- You have to have some sort of penal system. Vice President Pence, but I, deadly for abolition as we know it. He was very animated, and he issued very explicit, uh, very direct, unambiguous orders. There was no question about that. And he, and he was, and, and, and I can get you the exact quotes, I guess, from some of our records somewhere, but he was very animated, very direct, very firm uh, and to Secretary Miller. Get the military down here, get the guard down here, Put down this uh, situation. Very direct and very firm. As you heard earlier, you live in sexual anarchy. The president did not call the vice president or anyone in the military, federal law enforcement, or D.C. government. Not a single person. But General Milley did hear from Mark Meadows. The contrast between that call and his calls with Vice President Pence tell you everything you need to know. The Secret Service was in on it, Core. Dereliction of duty. Let's listen. He said, uh, this from memory, he said... Maybe not all of them, but a, a good portion of them. We kill the narrative that the vice president is making all the decisions. Uh, we need to establish the narrative that, um, you know, that the president is still in charge and that things are steady or stable or what's that thing. I immediately interpret that as politics, politics, politics. Uh, red flag for me personally, no action, but I remember it distinctly. Um, and and uh, I don't do political narratives. So while President Trump and his advisors were drained, Great! Good evening! Oaths ...to do the right thing. Maybe it was exhausting... They hate him because he reads books, indeed. But think about the law enforcement officers who were attacked by the mob that day. And President Trump had summoned them himself to Washington. It's that uh, uh, Garcia Espinosa meme. Called Rudy Giuliani. Uh, you hate him because he reads books. I hate him because he's still a, a imperialist pig. We are not the same. President Trump's message to the mob at 417. I was struck by the fact that he chose to begin the video by pushing the lie that there was a stolen election. And as the video went on, I felt a small sense of relief because he finally told these people to go home. 
but that was immediately followed up by him saying, we love you, you're very special. And that was disturbing to me because well, they're special, all right. between those that peacefully attended his speech earlier that day and those that we watched cause violence at the Capitol. Instead, he told the people... It's one and the same. There's no differentiating. ...form our nation's capital with the intent on overthrowing our democracy, violently attack police officers, and chant heinous <laughs> things like <laughs> hang Mike Pence. We love you. You're very special. And... As a spokesperson for him, I knew that I would be asked to defend Cora him. is salty tonight. Me, his refusal to act and call off the mob that day and his refusal to condemn the violence was indefensible. And so I knew that I would be resigning that evening. And so I finished out the work day, went home and called my loved ones to tell them of my decision and resigned that evening. Thank you. Indefensible. Let's hear what some of your colleagues in the press office told us about their He sent you outside for the deer to come by, get some salt lick. I felt like it was the, the absolute bare minimum of what could have been said at that point for something on camera. I think that's in the winter. They need, to, they need the salt lick in the winter. Um, so a more forceful, a, a more forceful... Um, dismissal of the violence, a more forceful command to go home, a more forceful um, respect for law enforcement, even a comparison um, to the respect that we have given law enforcement as it relates to what was done to them in the prior summer. Um, And I thought it was important that an acknowledgement be given to the U.S. Capitol building itself, what it's a symbol of, what it means, um, not only to the people that work there, but to the American people generally, and the work of Congress that by law needed to be conducted that day. Do you wish in hindsight that the president had asked the protesters to leave the Capitol earlier than he ended up asking them to do that? Of course, I would love if the go home message would have happened. Shut up, bird. The president's words matter. We know that many of the rioters were listening to President Trump. It's a sunny joke, guys. It's a sunny joke. Let's listen to what he had to say about the 417 message from the president and see how rioters reacted to the president's message in real time. Well, when we were there, as soon as that come out, everybody started talking about it, and that's it seemed like it started to disperse, you know, some of the crowd. I'm here delivering the president's message. Oh, if the QAnon shaman says it, you know everybody's going to listen. But just as Mr. Ayers said, police were still fending off the last throes of the brutal assault. I yield to the gentleman from <laughs> Illinois. Well, everyone else. Was- well, I mean, he's the shaman for a reason. What did President Trump do? At 6.01, just one minute after the citywide curfew went into effect, 
he posted his last tweet of the day. After officers engaged in multiple hours of hand-to-hand -hand combat, with over 100 of them sustaining injuries, President Trump <laughs> tweeted at 6.01. Oh, no, that's kind of racist for me to do that, isn't it? As a natural response to the election. You guys tell me that's racist. I'll not quote, ever do that again. These are events that happen when a sacred landslide victory is so unceremoniously, viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been badly, unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and peace. Remember this day forever. He called the mob great patriots. <laughs> I'm sure they're all remembering it right now from the jail cells. The day forever. He showed absolutely no remorse. A few minutes later at 627, the president left the dining room and he went up to the White House residence for the night. On the screen is the last photograph of the president that night as he went into the residence. As he was gathering his things in the dining room to leave, he looked sad and defeated. Reflected on the day's events with a White House employee. This was the same employee who had met President Trump in the Oval Office after he returned from the ellipse. President Trump said nothing to the employee about the attack. He said only, quote, Mike. Pence let me down. God damn. Matthews, what was your reaction to President Trump's 601 tweet? Um, at that point, I had already made the decision to resign. And this. She didn't give a fuck. My decision. I thought that January 6, 2021 was one of the darkest days in our nation's history. And President Trump was treating it as a celebratory occasion with that tweet. It still seems surreal to me. Others agreed with your assessment of that tweet. Let's look at what they had to say. Who asked you about this tweet before it was sent? The president. Tell us about that conversation and everything that you said and he said to the best of your recollection. Sure. So um, he said, what do you think of this? And I believe I saw the text message or the on his phone. And I, I remember saying to him, the wording on the first sentence, um, I guess it's one long sentence, but uh, the wording on the first <laughs> sentence would lead some to believe that potentially he had some. So there's three sentences there. The events that happened at the Capitol. What did he say? I don't recall him saying anything in response to that. He, I, I believe that was in the conversation. Did he change anything in light of your comments? No, sir, he did not. And what about this made you think that someone might perceive the president having a role in the violence at the Capitol? It, it was my interpretation of the words. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I don't write speeches or anything, but the phrase, these are the things that happen to me sounded. Don't mind if I do, Orby. As if. As if culpability was associated with it. To me, I don't think it's a patriotic act to attack the Capitol, but I have no idea how to. I, sir, it can be. It certainly wasn't in that instance. Destroyed property and uh, assaulted the U.S. Capitol. I think calling them patriots is, uh, let's say, a stretch to say the least. Is that all it is—a stretch, or just flatly wrong? I don't think it's a patriotic act to attack the U.S. Capitol. 
Would you call it unpatriotic? Criminal? Unpatriotic, sure. What happened at the Capitol? You said it, criminal. Be justified in any form or fashion. But again, we're hearing from Trump's people. He said it was criminal. And it was a terrible day. It was a terrible day for this country. I thought it was inappropriate. Why? Uh, to my mind, it was a day that should be remembered in infamy. That wasn't the tenor of this tweet. Despite the violence of the day, the effort to delay the certification continued. That evening, Rudy Giuliani called several of President Trump's closest political allies in the Wait, it continued? Session resumed. As we were waiting for the the session to to come back into session? In the session? Bill Haggerty, Lindsey Graham, Josh Hawley, and Ted Cruz. We know why Mr. Giuliani was calling them because well, that makes sense. he left a voicemail for Senator Tuberville, which later became you think we're public. Stupid? Let's you listen think we're to fools? just the start of it. Senator Tuberville, or I should say Coach Tuberville, this is Rudy Giuliani, President's lawyer. I'm calling you because I want to discuss with you how they're trying to rush this hearing and how we need you, our Republican friends, try to just slow it down so we can get these legislatures to get more information to you. Mr. Giuliani did not... Russia hearing that is constitutionally obligated. Instead, he was pushing on behalf of President Trump to get members of Congress to further delay the certification. Even though some members did proceed with objections, Vice President Pence and Congress stood firm and successfully concluded the joint session in the early morning hours of January 7th. Here are some of what members of the president's party said in the days and weeks after the attack. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. And he probably had a hand in 9-11, too. Storm this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth. Oh, yeah, he still didn't vote to convict. Destruction and chaos we saw earlier was unacceptable, undemocratic, and un-American. It was the saddest day I've ever had as serving as a member of this institution. Madam Speaker, today... <laughs> Media winch. Might have been a few days. Turtles can't turn around or get turned over no that fast. excuse for it. A woman died. And people need to go to jail. And the president should never have spun up certain Americans to believe something that simply cannot be. Well, after three in the morning, Congress certified the 2020 election results. Soon after, this statement by President Trump was posted on Dan Scavino's Twitter account because the president's account by now had been suspended. As you can see, you should call him President Dan Scabies. with his big lie that the election was stolen. But he did say there would be an orderly transition. I am a fucking child. 
The statement was not necessarily his idea. Jason Miller, a campaign advisor, told us that after the joint session started, he heard nothing from President Trump or the White House about assuring the nation that the transfer of power would take place. So Mr. Miller took it upon himself to draft the statement and call the president at 923 that night to convince him to put it out. Let's listen to what he had to say about the call. <laughs> did he disagree with something that you had put in the statement, some particular word or phrase that, that he did not want included? Uh, I'd say just a, uh, a, he wanted to say peaceful transition. And Bargle said she was going to try to get you to adopt me. Transition. Uh, that was that was about the extent of disagreement or, or pushback from the conversation. The last person President Trump spoke to by phone that night was Johnny McEntee, his head of personnel. Mr. McEntee told us that they talked about the events of the day and the multiple resignation by, by administration officials. The decision whether to resign was one that weighed heavily on people in the administration. On the one I'll hand, do it. Expand the podcast commune house. I'll come. As proud as they I can come now. I used to have way too much furniture and shit. And now I don't, I don't have much of anything anymore. Devices would put the country at continued risk. Listen to what we heard about that tension from Pat Cipollone, from General Mark Milley, and Eugene Scalia, who was the Secretary of Labor. And then after that, some people were resigning, obviously. Over a long story, Media Witch. They were. Uh, did I consider it? Yes. Did I do it? No. Concerned about is if, if people in the council's office left, who would who would replace me? And I had some concerns that it might be somebody who, you know, had been giving bad advice. Uh, on the morning of the 7th, the decision I arrived at was that the most constructive thing I could think of was to seek a meeting of the cabinet. Um, you know, I uh, thought that uh, trying to work with the administration to steady the ship was like, <laughs> you know, greater value. Um, One cat loves another cat very much. Uh, you get more cats. which point would have been... Um, and eventually, you have to listen to those that can handle more cats. Uh, really affect things with the administration. I don't have more cats. I have less cats. You know why? I had a cat run away. Though we've though we've seen him recently. We are not in possession of him. Now there was a couple of calls where, uh, you know, Meadows and or Pompeo, but more Meadows. Um, you know, how's the president doing? Like Pompeo might say, "How's the president doing?" And Meadows would say, well, he's in a really dark place. <laughs> I bet he's like in a really dark place. Example, on the 7th of January. So this is the uh, day after, right? POTUS is very emotional and in a bad place. Meadows. He's a man, baby. One President Trump to convene a cabinet meeting. He put his request in a memo to the president, and here's what it said. You can see that Secretary Scalia recommended that the president, quote, no longer publicly question the election results after Wednesday. No one can deny this is harmful. Secretary Scalia also highlighted the importance of the public knowing the president would invoke his cabinet 
in decision-making and not, quote, certain private individuals. Though Secretary Scalia did not say it, he was referring to Rudy Giuliani and the rest of the so-called clown Diddy Powell, working with President Trump. who's the overstock CEO, that dumb fuck. The president needed to do more to reassure the public about the last few weeks of the Trump administration. Mr. Pottinger, when you made the decision to resign, did, did you walk out of the White House immediately? <clears throat> no, I wanted to first talk to my immediate boss, that was the National Security Advisor, Robert O'Brien. Uh, uh, Robert O'Brien was traveling on the 6th. I reached him at about 4.30 p.m. Uh, and told him uh, that I was submitting my resignation. He accepted the resignation. I don't find this guy attractive, but asked, like, if the uh, only way I could sleep with this guy was to have a threesome with this guy House. and this guy, and, uh, I'd and do I it. We, we both uh, wanted to make sure that you I was live in, in sexual a anarchy. Way. Uh, we, we still have foreign adversaries to worry about, you know, hackers, terrorists, uh, nation states. Uh, and um, I did not want to leave my chair empty, given that I was the top national security staffer uh, in the White House. Uh, so I ended up staying uh, at my desk uh, through the night. Uh, when Robert O'Brien arrived back at the White House uh, the next morning, the morning of the 7th, uh, I debriefed uh, with him uh, and left for the last time. So you and I both share a passion for national security of our country. Can you share with me, what's your view on how January 6th impacted our national security? Well, when you have a presidential transition, even under the best circumstances, um, it is a, it's a time of vulnerability. It's a time of vulnerability. Um, uh, for, you know, and when you have a contested election, um, I, I was There's a possibility that he wouldn't got the evangelical vote for choosing Flynn. Probe, uh, possibility. Uh, U.S. resolve. Uh, as an example, uh, in late December, uh, the Iranian government attacked. Remember, you, US you won by the slimmest of margins using some of their terrorist proxies. Uh, President Trump did handle that. He he sent a very clear uh, warning to the Ayatollah and his regime, uh, which uh, I, I think had a had a uh, useful effect. Um, I, I think that we would have handled other threats of that nature, and luckily no other threats uh, uh, materialized uh, before the inauguration on the 20th. But our national security was harmed in a different way by uh, the 6th of January, and that is that it, um, uh, I, I think it emboldened uh, our yes, we did. enemies by uh, helping give them ammunition to feed a narrative that our system of government doesn't work, uh, that the United States uh, is in decline, uh, China, uh, the, the Putin regime in Russia, Tehran, uh, they're fond of pushing those kinds of narratives. And by the way, they're wrong. The, the, you know, we've been hearing for the entirety of U.S. history from kings and despots that the United States uh, is, uh, uh, is in decline. And uh, those kings and despots have been proven wrong every single time. But nonetheless, January 6th helped feed a perception that I think 
uh, emboldens our adversaries. You know, the, the, the other part I, I think is simply our, our allies. I heard from a lot of uh, friends in Europe, in Asia, allies, close friends, and supporters of the United States that they were concerned about the health of our democracy. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to put their minds at ease, to put our own hearts at ease uh, by investigating uh, what happened on the 6th and making sure that it never happens again. Look, I've always said democracy. Uh, if you believe what you're saying, is it really lying? If that dude believes, like, it's a good foreign policy decision. Accountability to that so we can actually come back even stronger than when we went into January 6th. Ms. Matthews, as you left. Also, like, I'm really stoned. I forgot what we were talking about. What did you think? I know he said something about the Middle East that, like, I was like, that's fucking stupid. I think that the American people needed to hear and see him publicly commit to a peaceful or at least orderly transition of power. Um, in the aftermath of the Capitol attack, it wasn't just enough for us to ask him to condemn the violence. He needed to agree that he would peacefully transfer power over to the incoming administration because that's one of our fundamentals and what it means to live in a democracy. And so that evening when I resigned, um, the resignation statement that I drafted, I referenced this and I said, our nation needs a peaceful transfer of power in hopes that it would put some sort of public pressure on the- You probably come back and get back on, Winch. I will be on for quite some time, I would say. I yield to my friend from Virginia. Thank you, Mr. Kensinger. The staff who remained at the White House on the morning of January 7th knew the president needed to address the nation again and they had a speech prepared for him that morning, but he refused for hours to give it. As you heard Cassidy Hushin testify previously, President Trump finally agreed to record an address to the nation later that evening, the evening of January 7th, because of concerns he might be removed from power under the 25th Amendment <laughs> impeachment. We know these threats were real, Sean Hannity said so himself in a text message that day to Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany. We all speculated. No more stolen election talk. Yes, impeachment and 25th Amendment are real. We obtained the never-before-seen raw footage of the president recording his address to the nation that day on January 7th, more than 24 hours after the last time he had addressed the nation from the Rose Garden. Let's take a look. Whenever you're ready, sir. I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack yesterday and to those who broke the law, you will pay. You do not represent our movement. You do not represent our country. And if you broke the law, you're the one that broke the law, you stupid fuck. I already said you will pay. The demonstrators who infiltrated. You ain't got no money. Have defied you the ain't paying shit. It's defiled, right? See, I can't see it very well. Okay, I'll, I'll do this. I'm going to do this. Let's go. But this election is now over. Congress has certified the results. I don't want to say the election's over. I just want to say Congress Herbie, has Stop being creepy. Without saying the election's over, okay? But Congress is certified. Now Congress is Yeah, right. Now Congress I didn't say over, so let, let me see. Go, go to the paragraph before. 
Okay? I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack yesterday. Yesterday is a hard word for me. But also, I was kind of being creepy when I was talking about, yeah. like, uh, good. I'd have a threesome with these two dudes. The heinous attack on our country. Say, on our country. Want to say that? No. Uh, we had a daddy-son thing going on. The integrity on. of the vote. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. He On sucks. January 7th, one day after he incited an insurrection based on a lie, President Trump still could not say that the election was over. Mr. Pottinger, you've taken the oath multiple times in the Marines and as an official in the executive branch. Can you please share with us your view about the oath of office and how that translates into accepting election results and a transfer of power? Sure. You know, this isn't the first time that we've had a close election uh, in, in this country. And President Trump certainly had every right to challenge in court uh, the results. And lose. Uh, but once you've had due process under the law, uh, you have to confirm the law, no matter how Love you, you know, Poo. Once you've presented your evidence in court, judges have heard that evidence, judges have ruled. Uh, if you continue to contest an election, you're not just contesting an election anymore. You're actually challenging the Constitution itself. Uh, you are uh, challenging the societal norms that allow us uh, to remain unified. Um, I, I think that um, one example, for example, you've got Vice President uh, Richard Nixon back in 1960 had lost a hard-fought election against Senator John F. Kennedy. Um, uh, uh, there, there were irregularities in that vote, according to a lot of the histories, and a lot of Vice President Nixon. That's the first time I have ever heard that to fight, contested. Is that true? Can somebody verify that? But in one of his finest moments, Vice President Nixon said no. Um, he said it would tear the country to pieces, and he conceded to Jack Kennedy and announced that he was going to support him as the next. Uh, president, we have a, a, an example. It is true, or be? Uh, what were, what were the irregularities? Al Gore, who faced a very similar dilemma, um, he strongly disagreed with the Supreme Court decision that uh, lost his election. Uh, not until later, Gore uh, allowed President George W. Bush to take office. But he gave a speech of concession in late December. Nixon in, was Eisenhower's vice president of, uh, and lost to uh, uh, Kennedy. He said this is for the sake of the unity of, of us as a people. And then came back after LBJ took over for Kennedy. I'm going to, to support we get the Nixon years uh, in the, the 70s. The new president. Uh, his speech is actually... Uh, a pretty good model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was the debate between Kennedy, Kennedy where Nixon is sweating. Any office... Uh, up to it, including the president, and from any party to read, uh, particularly right now. Um, you know, uh, the, the oath that uh, our, our presidents take, it's very similar to I the got oath my of sippy office cup. I took as a U.S. Marine officer and the, the oath I took as a White House official. Uh, 
Uh, it is to, to support and defend the Constitution. It's to protect the Constitution, to bear true faith and allegiance to the Constitution. And uh, it is a sacred oath. It's an oath that we take before our families. Uh, we take that oath before God. Um, and um, um, I, I think that um, um, we have... I'm sorry, RB. Um, You're not old. ...an obligation to live by, by that oath. Uh, and um, I, I do still believe that we have the most ingenious system of government on earth, um, it, despite its imperfections. Uh, I don't. It's a lot of retooling. Uh, system that actually allows for a predictable, uh, peaceful transfer of government. I, I like the foundation, but it needs a revamp for the 21st century, sir. Thank you. As we heard at the start of the hearing. In the immediate aftermath of January 6th, Republican leader Kevin McCarthy understood that President Trump bore responsibility for that day and should have taken immediate action to stop the violence. He was even more candid in calls with Republican colleagues. As you'll hear in a moment, recordings of some of these calls that were, made, were later published by the New York Times, the context for these calls was that a resolution had been introduced in the House calling for Vice President Pence and the cabinet to remove President Trump from power under the 25th Amendment. Let's listen. Why were we talking about Ben Stein? I played a Ben Stein uh, video the other day. Guy. Uh, what he did is unacceptable. Um, nobody can defend that and nobody should defend it. Fucking Kissinger is still, still alive. Is that I think this will pass and it would be my recommendation we should be done. Um, and he had an opinion on something the other day. But let me be very clear to all of you, and I've been very clear to the president. He bears responsibilities for his words and actions. No ifs, ands, or buts. I asked him personally today, does he hold responsibility for what happened? Does he feel bad? I don't know. Is he core? Is he Roger Stone has Richard Nixon on his um, back? And he need to acknowledge that. President Trump has never publicly acknowledged his responsibility for the attack. The only time he apparently did so was in that private call with Kevin McCarthy. There's something else President Trump has never acknowledged. The names and the memories of the officers who died following the attack on the Capitol. We're honored to be joined tonight by police and first responders who bravely protected us on January 6th. Your character and courage give us hope. That is Roger Stone's Richard Nixon tattoo. Even in the face of a violent... <laughs> we on this dais can never thank you enough for what you did to protect our democracy. You want to talk about somebody who... Uh, you live in sexual Trump anarchy. In sexual anarchy. About the Roger Stone. Glaring silence uh, on the tragic death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who succumbed to his injuries the night of January 7th. These campaign officials were Tim Murtaugh, Trump's director of communications, and one of his deputies, Matthew Walking. Their job was to convince people to vote for President Trump, so they knew his heart, his mind, and his voice as well as anyone. And they knew how he connects with his support. Everybody got no heart. Here's what they had to say about their boss. Murtaugh said, 
also shitty not to have acknowledged the death of the Capitol Police officer. Wolking responded, that's enraging to me. Everything he said about supporting law enforcement was a lie. To which Murtaugh replied, you know what this is, of course, if he acknowledged the dead cop, he'd be implicitly faulting the mob. And he won't do that because they're his people. And he would also be close to acknowledging that what he lit at the rally got out of control. No way he acknowledges something that could ultimately be called his fault. No way. This Murtaugh guy is smart. Say Murtaugh from, uh, was it, Lisa Webbin? American people what his own people know to be true. He is responsible for the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. Thank you, and I yield to the gentleman from Illinois. Thank you, Ms. What Lewis. up, Adam? Tonight's testimony <clears throat> and evidence is as sobering as it is straightforward. Within minutes of stepping off the ellipse stage, Donald Trump knew about the violent attack on the Capitol. He might be bringing it on home. Of his dining room, he watched on TV as the attack escalated. <clears throat> he sent tweets that inflamed and expressed support for the desire of some to literally kill Vice President Mike Pence. For three hours, he refused to call off the attack. <clears throat> Donald Trump refused to take the urgent advice he received that day. Not from his political opponents or from the liberal media, but from his own family, his own friends, his what own liberal staff, media, and his own advisors. In the midst of an attack, when there was no time for politics, the people closest to Trump told him the truth. It was his supporters attacking the Capitol, and he alone could get through to them. So they pled for him to act. That's an old Republican tactic. They always claim there's dead people voting. Still, he refused to lead. Tried and true. To honor his oath. It was only once the vice president and the members of Congress were in secure locations and the officers defending the Capitol began to turn the tide that then President Trump engaged in the political theater of telling the mob to go home. And even then... He told them all they were special and that he loved them. Whatever your politics. He doesn't know what love is. The election. He doesn't want anybody to show him. We as Americans must all agree on this. He doesn't want to know what love is. Donald Trump's conduct on January 6th was a supreme violation of his oath of office and a complete dereliction of his duty to honor. Oh, I got some Gen Xers in the audience that got that on one. Our history. It is a dishonor. Maybe even the baby boomer All got that one. Sacrificed and died in service of our democracy. When we present our full findings, we will recommend changes to laws and policies to guard against another January 6th. The reason that's imperative is that the forces Donald Trump ignited that day have not gone away. The militant, intolerant ideologies, the militias, the alienation, and the disaffection. It's an earworm. It's an earworm. Disinformation. They're all still out there. 
ready to go. <laughs> That's the elephant in the room. But if January 6th... I'm a millennial, but like, it was like my mom my thought she was cool. We're us of this. driving down the road Laws with the are just sunroof open listening to Foreigner. They mean nothing without public servants dedicated to the rule of law and who are held accountable by a public that believes oath matters, oaths matter more than party tribalism or the cheap thrill of scoring political points. We, the people, must demand more of our politicians and ourselves. Oaths matter. Character matters. RB, are you trying to say matters. that you didn't start the fire? We do not renew our faith <laughs> and commitment to these principles. This great experiment of ours, our shining beacon on a hill, will not endure. I yield to the gentlewoman from Virginia. Thank you, Mr. Kensinger. Throughout our hearings, we've provided many facts and painted a vivid picture of the events of January 6th. The violence, the human toll, both emotional and physical, including the tragic loss of life. The threats to our constitution, the rule of law, and the danger to this nation, a nation we all love as Americans. In tonight's hearing, we've gone into great detail about the events inside the White House on January 6th. We've described how the President of the United States, who was bound by oath to the Constitution and by duty to ensure the laws are faithfully executed. As we're trying to keep it under three hours. In the cornerstone of our democracy, a peaceful transition. They want to keep it in the primetime hours. But it's more than that. Donald Trump summoned a violent mob and promised to lead that mob to the Capitol to compel those he thought would cave to that kind of pressure. But I always, I always feel like and we're just getting started when effort to lead the armed uprising. They, they call us to recess. The attackers to target the vice president with violence. A man who just wanted to do his constitutional duty. We just got back from fucking recess. They shouldn't take a fucking recess. As it may do this shit straight up. Story of inaction in a time of crisis. But instead, it was the final action of Donald Trump's own plan to assert the will of the American people and remain in power. Not until it was clear. There may be something to allow, like, the cable news channels to take a commercial break or some shit. Had failed. Did he send his message, a message to his supporters in which he commensurated with their pain and he told them affectionately to go home? That was not the message of condemnation and just punishment for those who broke the law that we expect from a president whose oath and duty is to ensure the laws are faithfully executed. He said duty. Instead, it was his newest version this is the most childish I've ever been on stream, I think. Possibly, me, I don't know. This is personal. I first swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution against enemies foreign and domestic when I entered the U.S. Naval Academy at age 17. I spent two decades on ships at sea defending our nation from known and identifiable foreign enemies who sought to do us harm. I never imagined that that enemy would come from within. 
I was not as prescient as Abraham Lincoln, who 23 years before the Civil War said, Every, it all, The enemy always comes from within. We must ourselves always gotta look be the and its finisher. Donald Trump was the author, and we the people, for ourselves and our posterity, should not let Donald Trump be the finisher. Thank you, and I yield to the vice chair. Thank you very much, Mrs. Luria. I want to thank our witnesses for joining us today. The members of the select committee may have additional questions for today's witnesses, and we ask that you respond expeditiously in writing to those questions. Without objection, members will be permitted 10 business days to submit statements for the record, including opening remarks and additional questions from our witnesses. I'd now like to turn things to Chairman Thompson for a few closing words. Oh no! The members of the committee. Can I just cut them off. Shall I leave? Shall I be like, yeah, peace out, dude. We're not into it. We've got, we've got like the news to cover. Sorry. And I work. Sorry, Benny. Sorry.